Um, I'm hooking up or connecting an external hard drive this weekend. It's got two terabytes in it, and I don't think it's going to be half as much as I need. Um, I'll probably need twice as much of space as I am there, and that'll be a little bit easier for me to, um, to run out a list. But let's see what we've got in the comedy routine. We've got... Oh, a stack here. Just just say stop when I get to one that you want. Burns and Allen, the Aldrich family, Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Sub- Why don't you send me the Phil Harris? I was actually looking on Phil, uh, looking on the Internet for Phil Harris today because I uh, hadn't listened to many of the shows, and I just listened to a couple of them about the, the um, playing for the president. And, and, um, that was a funny show, yeah. And Yeah, I think those, those would be good. Okay, you got them. Sounds good. And I'll be listening, and if you have anything else of, of interest later, um, then I will check back. Okay, Kurt. Thanks so much for calling. Okay, talk to you guys later. Take care, Kurt. Bye. 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 All right, folks, 714-545-2071. Well, we know what Patricia from Florida, Frank Sinatra, and Luke Costello all have in common. I didn't know Luke Costello was born in New Jersey. Yeah, Patterson, New Jersey. Now, what does Bing Crosby, Patrice Munzel, and Edward R. Moore have in common? Huh. 714-545-2071. Give us a call. We're here. Race, they owned race horses. No? Well, we know Bing did. I don't think Edward R. Moore, and I don't, I don't well, know about Patrice. That wasn't the answer, huh? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. And if you can help Patricia, who who runs Kramer's Drugstore in West Vista, let us know. Mr. Kramer runs That's Kramer's right. <laughs> <laughs> And what street address is Mr. Kramer's Drugstore on, everybody? He's in Oak. All right, she's on a roll. You know what my crisis is for tonight? What's that? i got a bug in my coffee. A Patricia. bug flew in my coffee. I think we better go dump the coffee in the sink then. It's critical. But for a bug, I'll find the bug and pull it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw a whole cup of coffee away because there's a teeny bug in it. No, I don't think so. Okay, so we've got East Coast family. We heard from John. John is okay. They mm-hmm. lost power um, in this horrible, horrible aftermath of the storm. I have not heard back from Charles in New Jersey. New Jersey Bill I heard from, they lost power for a few days. He has the pumps running in the basement, but they're okay. Rich in New Jersey is underwater. He is just dealing with a a wreck of a situation. And he said, as bad as this is, he's got five feet of water in his basement. I guess it's going down now. He said his neighbor has five feet of water in his living room. Mm. So um, New Jersey really got hit. Jerry in Maryland is okay. Fred in Vermont uh, is okay, but his town was hit very, very hard. And we still have to hear from Lucy in New York and Staten Island. Staten Island took a bit of a hit too. So East Coast family, please give us a call and let us know that you're okay. And everybody, happy Labor Day. Hope everybody's going to take Monday off if you can, you know. If you work, that's okay, too. Somebody got to keep the country open. And be safe. For goodness sakes, be safe. That's right. They started early this weekend. Now, we have to hear from Ralph. Ralph has a bit of a story, and I don't know if he's going to 
you know, if it's if it's just a, a private communication or a public story, but we need <laughs> Ralph tonight. And we're on an anniversary, historical anniversary, folks. So we got some historical uh, um, stuff available. We also, I have another trivia question. Uh oh. We're coming upon an anniversary, September eighth, nineteen thirty-five. What famous singer got his start on the Major Bo show? We have the uh, we have the clip from that broadcast from September eighth, nineteen thirty-five. You know, a couple of people got their starts on Major Bo. Ma- a lot of people got their starts. Yeah. A lot of people did. But this one was nineteen thirty-five. This was nineteen thirty-five. Uh, singer. Singer. Mm, 1935. I like dates. Yeah, well, date and nut bread is very good. I've never had a date and nut bread. Never did. But I don't think that has to do with the singer. No. Hello there. You're on the air. Hey, Walter. It's Ralph. How you doing? Hi, Ralph. Hi, Ralph. Are you talking to me? Of course I am. I, I, I love you. <laughs> hey, Ralph. Working. <laughs> 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 We're gonna have a wild night tonight. Okay, do you want do you want to talk about anything tonight? No. <laughs> You're not gonna tell him what you told me in the email. Well, I've been eating that dark chocolate. Tony and I ate three pounds of it, huh? and we're waiting for something to happen, but nothing nothing's happened yet. Should I should I tell him what the the premise of this is? You think she's a tease, Ralph? I mean, she keeps coasting and saying and plotting. Good grief. Good grief. Uh, uh, I can take a hard knock. <laughs> I, I don't know. Last week... You can talk about it. Well, last week we were talking about chocolate, and I said people who like dark chocolate are, according to research, and I would love to have done the research, but according to research, people who like dark chocolate are more sensuous. So Ralph said he and Tony have eaten three pounds and nothing's happened. <laughs> and I wrote back and said, um, you you got to give it a little bit of help here, Ralph. <laughs> how, how, how do these people make these tests? I mean... Uh, no, and I want to be party to this. I don't understand how they, how they do the testing. I don't either. Do they sit around and eat dark chocolate and wait for something to happen? Or, uh, Patricia, I guess we I guess we need to call Dr. Gallup, Dr. Joyce no, Gallup. This is not like spontaneous combustion. Yeah. You think, all by itself. You think no. Dr. Joyce Gallup or the Gallup poll would know? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. He he seems like a pretty straight laced guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I really would like to volunteer for some of these really good ones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I truly don't know how they figure this out. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess if you got nothing better to do, you try and figure out who, who's eating dark chocolate. So. <laughs> well, 
obviously you're not a good commercial for it. Well, you know, it probably was a government study. You know, yeah, it, yeah it was, it was, it was, the government decided to, to fund this project. Somebody wrote a grant for this. I wonder how much that cost. <laughs> <laughs> it was the candy industry, the chocolate makers, chocolatiers, who, um... You know, a million dollars here, a million dollars there, sooner or later it, turns, it runs into real money. Yeah, eventually it does. Said that. Was it Strom Thurmond who said that? I would I not be surprised. might have been. You know how many, you know, if you count one to a million, how long would it take you? Oh, goodness gracious. We talked about uh -huh. that, it's a long time. Oh, uh, it would take me a long time. Well, if you count one to a million in a 24-hour cycle, yeah, it would take you seven days. No kidding. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Yep. I got you. You start now, you do. and we'll... I believe that. Now, that's the kind of study I can understand. <laughs> Well, we know it didn't cost a million dollars to do that study, then. Jeez. <laughs> okay. This is good. You would fund that kind of a study. This is good. Well, I remember I remember the government fund, they wanted to know if, if how uh, cattle would react underneath electric poles. So, so they funded that, or electric wires, so they funded that project for $30,000, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I just would not be surprised. Did they give more milk? I don't know. Well, what was the purpose of the study? I don't know. Somebody just gave government gave them $30,000 to study cows reaction on these electric wire poles. I'm a good writer. Maybe I should start writing requests. <laughs> I think it has, it has a lot I'm to do with whether your hands are cold or not. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bill myself as an experienced grant writer. I have written uh, grant proposals before, but... Um, you know, I'm certainly not an expert at it, but what the heck? No, I mean, you got to get practice somewhere. Mm -hmm. What would you like to go after? Um, well, you know, I, there's a website I want to tell people where to go to find bargains. So this is what we need to have Patricia write the grant for for the family. Okay. It's called GoOnVacation.com. And here, uh -huh. folks, on this website are cruises that the cruise company cannot sell. And so they do... Deep discount. So, for for example, for a thirty-five thousand dollar crew, you can get it for six thousand. These types uh, that's, of things. That's we quite a price. Hundred dollar cruise. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that one of those grand tour type cruises? Yeah, grand tour. For example, if you, if we that decide be, yeah. if we decide to go from San Diego to Hawaii and back, or take fifteen days, twelve hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think Patricia needs to write a grant for the Yesterday USA family to take one of these cruises. Yeah, I could go over and see my daughter. I think so. What do you think, Patricia? Well, we'd, we'd have to have a purpose. What, and, and it, and we, it would we, have to... we can solve the world problem on the boat. Well, in today's milieu, that probably would work. <laughs> if I had a choice, I would go to Hawaii by ship. Where but, would you uh, go? I've always gone by plane. Well, I'm not. I'm not too warm about getting on a ship anyway. So I don't like that. Yes, on that one. Oh boy. Yeah, I loved being at sea. It was great. So what's happening out in California these days? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, uh, Trinity County, where I live, uh, is having the county-wide garage sale this weekend. Oh. 
Oh, it's your weekend for garage sales. Yay. And there's a sign on every corner. Oh, are you going to buy or sell? I, I went today and I bought a few things. What did you buy? You got some really great bargains the last time. I always I always do all right, but, you know, I... I go through them three or four times because you, you'll never see everything the first time. Huh? And once in a while, there's a gem in there. So what's the most interesting thing you saw right there that you did not buy? Um, let's see. That I did not buy. Yep, I had grandfather clock when you said, Tony, I don't think we have room for this. Oh, oh, well. Uh, Something like that. I think it was probably Tony who said we don't have <laughs> Well, today I saw a nice, big, uh, heavy-duty, deep-fat fryer. Oh. oh I you would mean really like, like to have to cook shrimp and such. Uh-huh. And, and frankly, we don't have room for it. So, was this big enough like a, like a turkey fryer? No, no, I, I had one of those. So you had to build a shed outside the house, the thing. Well, I got a 25 by 40 foot Quonset hut. Mm -hmm. I've got um, a 10 by 10 building that was uh, keynoted to be a, a chicken coop that never happened. <laughs> well, we've got the chickens now. I know. You could put Patricia Wall's name on the, on the door. That way it should be officially a, a chicken coop whenever the chicken decide to show up. Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not a chicken. Well, maybe I'm a chick. How are you chickens? I, my chicken is fine. It's um, it's sitting here, and it's not looking quite as emaciated as it did when it arrived. So. I, uh, yeah, yeah, it takes them a while to rehydrate. Yeah, I know. I've been stuffing food down its throat, but, um, you know, it hasn't squawked, so I guess it's okay. Yeah, it's going to start to smell bad if you did that. <laughs> this is good. This is good. Oh, no, do it, not put my name East on it. situation. I, uh, all my friends back there, uh, they didn't even lose power. Mm. And the sailboat lived okay. through the storm. That's amazing. Yeah, it was... It was uh, I, I, I'm just... You know, the, the, the thing... Something like this is that because they weren't hit, my fear is that people like them who didn't leave mm -hmm. will just poo-poo the next didn't one. Move out. They'll just poo-poo the next one, and eventually it's going to get them. Well, probably. I hope it's another forty or fifty years before they get one of them. Boy, I know. It, oh, it my was God. a long time, a long interval between this one and the last one. Mm-hmm. I tell you, I think yeah, more it's, people... It's amazing that uh, that part of the country is not really considered a hurricane. No. I, I tell oh. you, though, I think I think people are getting a little more sensitive about that. Because today, during the uh, Notre Dame-South Florida football game, they had a thunderstorm where they shut, it, shut down the game for two hours, and they evacuated the entire stadium at 80,000 to tell them to go leave. Oh, yeah. And then they waited two hours, and then everybody came back. Uh, to me, that's pretty amazing that they were even... Uh, well, lightning is a major concern yeah. with thunderstorms yeah. here. Yeah. Well, you know, um, one of the worst places to be in a thunderstorm is in a boat, a small boat. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. And I got caught in one once. <gasps> Ooh. What do you do? You lie flat, right? Well, no, we had a little... Um, 
a little bimini top, you know, a canvas cover. Uh-huh. And I was sitting under that, and the lightning flashed near the boat, and I felt my hair stand up. Oh, boy. That's, boy. That's how close it was. Okay, so when you're in a small boat, and you don't have a canopy, or even with a canopy, and you're in the middle of an electrical storm, do you, do you just go down and lie flat? You go, you go over... Well, they say laying flat is good, but, you know, boats don't really... Uh, fiberglass or wood boats, they don't ground well. So, so if, it, if it strikes, it's going to run all over the place. Yeah, but if you stand up and you're the highest point, you're the lightning rod. Yeah, that, that is true. The higher the, the higher you are, the more prone you are to uh, be hit. Boy, spooky stuff. Mm. Spooky stuff. Yeah. So what, what, is, uh, what is going on with the, uh, the theme for this week? Uh, I was just going to say the theme, sir, is carnivals and amusement parks. What was your favorite ride, your favorite game, your favorite booth, your favorite food, just favorite anything about an amusement park or a carnival? Well, I was over too much for them. When I was a kid, I, I used to get car sick. <laughs> and all you had to do was get me near a Ferris wheel or a Tilton World or something like that. I'd get sick. You are the person I was talking about earlier that everyone on these rides should be issued a parf bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Curious. I mean, I, uh, I don't want to sit behind you or in front of you. No, no, absolutely not. Well, it, it wasn't much of a problem because I avoided it like the plague. Well, how about the booths and games and foods? What did you like? Uh, did you, uh, the games like... The, oh, the um, the booths? Yeah, like shoot the star or... Uh, yeah, yeah, well, they used to let you shoot the little twenty-two rifles uh-huh. at uh, uh, a whole bunch of different targets. And uh, I, I always liked that. Shoot the ducks, yeah. Uh, what else? Did you win any? The thing where you throw like a, a wooden curtain ring uh -huh. and you try and get it onto the neck of a Coca-Cola bottle. Right. Yeah. Well, from my from my uh, youthful experience of pitching pennies, I was pretty good at that. Really? Yeah. What did you win? I, I won. I won. Uh, we were just going together, but I won a beautiful teddy bear for Tony. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why, but she named it Burpee. <laughs> I don't know why. Bertie. I think I'll ask her someday. Why you named that? That's funny. That is fun. Okay, so was there a secret to pitching pennies? <clears throat> yeah, you know, you have to have an eye for it. That's that's the whole thing. It's it's the angle that the penny lands at. Uh-huh. And, you know, when you pitch against the wall, if the penny stands on end and leans against the wall, it's called a leaner. And maybe uh, one out of ten I could throw a leaner. And a leaner was a good thing? Oh, yeah, it's a good thing. Keiko, who... Whoever's closest to the wall, you know, wins, but huh? you can't get any closer than on the wall. And I get closer than on the wall. Keiko, who suggested this as a theme tonight, said that when you are tossing coins onto plates, that you toss a coin, you flip a coin with it spinning, I hope I got this right, spinning toward you as opposed to away from you. And it puts a spin on the coin so it's mm -hmm. right off the plate. Yeah, it's sort of like shooting pool. 
Yeah. You hit the ball low, you know, it draws back towards you after it hits something. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. I don't know if they refer to it as English when, you, when you're throwing a coin, but it, in pool they call it English. Yeah, you put some English on the ball. Is that, when you put English on the ball, is it when you hit the ball very low with um, the pool cue and it, it creates a backward spin? Is that well, yeah, you can do that, or you can hit it high, which it, which would really make it uh, travel faster. Uh -huh. And uh, if you hit it left or right, you put a spin on the ball. Right. So if it hits the when it hits the bumper, it, it spins off. Uh huh. And then I don't know. I found it useful when I used to shoot pool. Oh, we got a we got a huge mountain lion. <gasps> You're kidding. No, we got a huge mountain lion. My neighbor saw it crossing my property day before oh, yesterday. That is scary. He says it's a big one. That is scary. When they're yeah. hungry, they will eat anything that moves. Is this unusual? Well, I've been here over 15 years. I've never actually seen one. But uh, he said this thing was crossing right next to my, uh, coming up the hill near my dog's kennel. Oh, boy. But, uh, not too concerned because mountain lions generally don't, don't want to mess with dogs. Unless it's a tiny little feeble thing. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and when they hunt them, you know, they hunt them with dogs. And the dogs run them up a tree and then they come and get them. My gosh, that is really scary. That that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to call the delivery services. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay inside and wait for you guys to show up with my pizza and my milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not unusual for them to be spotted up here. Holy! Last last year around Christmas, a guy got a new. Uh, he got a new uh, digital camera. Uh huh. He decided he was going to walk down the bottom of his driveway, and he did. There was a mountain lion there, had a deer by the neck. Oh, my gosh. And when he shuffled around, it scared the mountain lion off. The deer got up and left. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was in our really little paper here. I'm really surprised the deer could move. There's a great picture of it. Wow. You know, when a, when a mountain lion or a big cat jumps on the back of an animal, they snap the neck. So yeah, well, what, they, what they say they do, too, is they, they go for the throat and crush the pipe. Yeah. They stop from breathing one one or another. But anyhow, I'm, uh, I'm keeping an eye out for our mountain lion. Oh, boy, I hope so. Are you in the market for a question? Oh, sure. Yeah? Okay. Um... Let me see now. Ooh, you want a hard one? Yeah. Do you like Do you like Jack Benny? Yeah. All right. Jack Benny lived next door to a famous couple, an actor and actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Englishman. Uh, uh huh. Uh, oh my God, what's his name? Ronald Coleman. Very oh, good. Oh my gosh, you're good. Do you remember what his wife's name was? Anita. That's right. You are good. That was a hard question. Now, what was their address? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Walton, do you know? Um. 
I'm just thinking. I think I um, if I don't if I don't struggle with it, I think it'll pop pop up. Uh, what was it, Ralph? Well, I know it wasn't seventy-nine wistful. Very it, good. Uh, <laughs> Very good. No, I don't know. I just thought you might know. Oh, Ralph! Well, you ask me questions. <laughs> How could you do that to me? That's easy. Oh, you are too much. Well, I sent you some surprises this week. Um, oh, but you should be getting them probably by, mm, nope, Tuesday, because Monday is a holiday. Okay. What would you like me to put in an envelope for you? Was it, uh, it wasn't dark chocolate, was it? <laughs> it was some radio shows. You told me to surprise you, so I did. She wakes me up in the middle of the night and gives me chocolate. She wakes you up in the middle of the night to give you chocolate. Here, here, you, you, you got to take your chocolate every four hours. <laughs> Ralph, you got to help it. I mean, it's... Well, I, uh, it's I'm, I'm doing all I can do. What, what can I do? Well, I can't tell you. It's a family show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. All right. What, what can I send you besides chocolate and an instruction book? <laughs> That's not quite that bad. You're going to find a, a, a one that's 
Worcester? Yes, a Worcester shell. I'm Worcester. sure I have one in here that's Worcester than that. Worcester. Worcester. Uh, that's, that's supposed to be more Worcester. Yeah. yeah it's, or Worcesterist. It's more Worcesterist. It's come from Worcestershire to Massachusetts, right? Yeah, I have a I have a really awful show tonight, but it's not nearly as awful as that one was. <laughs> no, that was terrible. <laughs> I, it was supposed. To you really wondered if they get paid for doing that because it was a oh. was an atrocity. I know. Did you notice it had no advertising? I I I, I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another show that was very popular on the radio was before the candid camera. It was the candid microphone. Yep. That's right. Yeah, it was the same the same guy. Same guy. Same guy did it. Alan Hunt. He, uh, he went for years without a sponsor. That's did true. He? I didn't That's know that. True. Yeah, and then later on uh, later on I think when when he was on T V he did get a sponsor. Well on T V I guess he would have to have a sponsor. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, uh, I knew people back in New York that, that were actually on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I, I walked around looking for something that just might be the candid camera. Because <laughs> I wanted to be on it so bad I could taste it. <laughs> no, no luck whatsoever. You can really insult people when they're in the middle of a, what is normal for them, and you say, "Are we on candid camera?" Oh yeah. Oh, not a good. You thing. know, we were, we were having a party down down San Jose, and I ordered uh, twenty four rolls, uh, twelve sweet and twelve sourdough. Uh huh. So when I went when I went to pick them up, they had twenty four rolls of bread for me. And I really thought I was on candid. I said, are we on candid camera? She said, oh, why? I said, what are you kidding? I, I wanted two dozen rolls. Not loaves. dozen loaves of bread. <laughs> oh, Ralph. Oh, that's funny. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. That's funny. Alan uh, retired and lived in Carmel, California. That's where he wound up in the latter days in the... Uh, well, I was fine, yeah. 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 Yeah, he was. I always liked his show. Yeah, I mean, it was. And there's, there's something on, on now they call just for fun. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. Um, I I have one uh, about uh, Trader Joe's. The, this guy is giving away food samples at uh -huh. the fish counter. Yeah. And he, you know, he's a he's a middle-aged man, and he. Mooning somebody, I guess, huh? Yeah, yeah. Well, we won't talk about that. That was a half moon. <laughs> it, it was, it was, it was really pretty funny, and, and the reactions were some were very different, you know. 
Yeah. I'll send it to you if you don't mind. I don't mind at all. I'd love to see it. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. Okay, Ralph. Thanks for calling. Hi, Tony. Yeah, she's in the other room. Our grandson is visiting in there. They're in there watching the evil television. Oh, the, oh gosh. Yeah. Down with television, up with old-time radio. <laughs> tonight. It's for tonight. I, I, you guys, I uh, really enjoyed talking to you. Same here, Ralph. Our pleasure, Ralph. Thanks so much for calling. No, bye, now. Bye-bye. Bye. 714-545-2071. We're here. We're opening the door. It's Labor Day weekend. Happy Labor Day! Labor Day. And you've got a question about Patrice Munsell, Edward R. Murrow, and... Boom. Bing Crosby. And boom. Bing Crosby. Yeah. What did they have in common? And Walden has promised you that I will send a CD if you answer his question. Now, I haven't figured out how we get <laughs> I, I Here's another one I'll throw on the table. What, oh, my goodness. What does Mary Livingston and the, and the Marx Brothers have in common? Mary Livingston and the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. Jack Benny's... Oh, oh, oh. All right. I bet oh, Patricia knows oh. that one. I know. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm not going to say. Well, you can. No. I, I can always come up with more. No. Um, nope. Nope, nope, nope. Oh, you think you have? Uh, uh, you can, it could be a makeup concerning Kramer with a such a struggle. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no. What about Fred Allen's real name, everybody? There's another one on the table. Sullivan. And seven one four five four five two zero oh, seven one. Hello there, you're on the air. Hey, Walden and Patricia, it's Paul again. Hello, Paul. Yes. I, I just, I kept waiting for someone, I, I don't know if I'm going to, that trivia question about what do those three people have in common. You should know it. Uh, they, they all grew up in Washington. You are absolutely correct, Paul. You are really hot tonight, you're sir. You're good, you're good, Paul. You're big in geography. <laughs> no, well, well, the thing is, first thing, the, the, like, the first month I ever moved here, they, they, they made such a big deal about the Bing Crosby Museum. Uh-huh. Because he was such a, the, in Tacoma, that he was such a the hero of the hometown. That's right. Well, what, what, what college did he go to? What college? What college in the state of Washington is he from? Paul, you didn't think you were going to get away easy, did you? Oh, did he go to Wazoo? No. Nope. It's known for basketball. That doesn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't follow college basketball. They are are a major power in college basketball today. In the state of Washington. Well, there's the University of Washington. Right, but it it has a better basketball program than than the university. Seattle Pacific? Nope, bigger than that. I don't know. I, you're, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be stumped forever. All right. What, what's think of a Jesuit school, a, a Catholic school, Catholic p- private school? Uh, 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 Pacific Lutheran University. No bigger than that. It's Lutheran. Um, I, 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 Catholic, Catholic school. Yeah. Oh, is it, it's got to be Saint something. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> we're left with Our Lady of something. <laughs> Oh, that's right. The rest are all Our Lady of something. No, no, no. Nope, nope. 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 N
and it was a Catholic school. A famous Catholic school in the state of Washington. And it's a major powerhouse in college basketball today. There's such a lack of Catholics out here that <laughs> I'm hard to think of. Um, That's why I'm trying to help. I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, and every town has a Catholic church, but out here they're so few and far between. I know. Ah. I honestly, I, I could. Okay, I could, I'll, I'll leave that on the table for somebody else to take a crack. Yeah, that would that would be good. That'd I be was good. gonna say even now. If, okay, now what does Mary Livingston and the March Brothers have in common? Uh, I, I would only guess that maybe one of the Marx Brothers worked at the same store that Mary Livingston did. Well, you're pretty close, but something a little more personal. Uh, were they related through marriage? Yes, they they were they were distant cousins. Cousins. Yes, because Mary Livingston's real name is Sadie Marks. How about that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You learn something new every day. I'm so proud of myself. I knew that one, Paul. Now, I knew that now, one. Now we have to, we have to disclose, we have to disclose something to the audience. What? Paul is responsible for the weekly feature that Patricia had. That's right. That's right. Paul is totally responsible for that. Paul is the one who instigated it. Yes. Stump Walden. Yes. Uh-huh, my Stump Walden question. <laughs> and it's grown. It, it has I love the Stump Walden question. <laughs> what is the Stump Walden question? No, he's oh, I said I love them. Oh, I mean, I, I'm looking good. forward to hearing you, you put one really hard out tonight to, to make Walden think. That's right. I'm, I've got a really hard one tonight. But, but you know, he surprises me sometimes. I, I sit here like a little kid and I say, Oh, no, it's just as good when he gets it as when he doesn't get it, you know. Yeah, I know, and I've only gotten them probably half a dozen times, but mm -hmm. I'm so proud of those half a dozen times. Oh, and I enjoyed the earlier thing, with you naming all the people who lived on the Fibber McGee and Molly show. That was a, that was a great topic. Yeah, wasn't that, I mean, that's really, it's amazing when you start listing out all of those characters to realize that they were on a show where we only associate two people. Say, well, oh, oh, and I'm like, oh, that would be a fun thing on other weekends to do with other shows. Like, name everybody on Armist Brooks. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, because a lot of people would pop in and they'd only be on two episodes of the whole series. Uh-huh. Um, How many can you name? Oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'll, let you, I'll let you and Walden uh, 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 punish oh, some oh. other caller. With, uh, so generous. He's going to let everybody else answer the question. Well, Paul, Good question. I'll, I'll have to. I have to sit down and put my my brains in place. Okay, let me throw another one on the table. Paul, you got me thinking here. What does Dick Powell, Joe Moore, and Bob Bailey all have in common? Well, they're all detectives. Well, no, that's not that's not true. Um, Bob Bailey. Uh, who was the middle one? Joe Moore. I see. I don't know that name. Well, of course, he best known being Philip Philip Marlowe. Okay. So what did those three have in common, everybody? So they, did they all play Sam Spade? Oh, uh, you're, you're, you're hot. They all play the same character. Which character? Philip Marlowe? Philip Marlowe. No. No, wait, wait. Um. Oh, oh, pick me. All right, Patricia. All right, it is... Johnny Dollar. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Philip Marlowe. Um, Gerald <laughs> Moore. And Dick Powell auditioned. That's right. For he did the audition. Yeah. Did auditions for for Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's two. That's two. <laughs> oh my gosh, I got two tonight. That was a good one. Yeah. Okay. Two. Okay. Okay. 
what does what does Enbes, Gail Gordon, Ronald, and Benita Coleman have in common? And the best, wow. And the most people know she was a movie actress who was married to Herbert Marshall, right. who was the director for Rathbone and Boots of the radio show Sherlock Holmes. What does those two couples have in common? I'm going to need you to say the name of the first person again. Edna Bess. And I don't know her. That's right. Get, you know who Gail Gordon is? Yep. Ronald and Benita Coleman. Know them. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, all born in England. Oh, I never thought about that. I think you're right. Oh, great answer. I think you're right, Patricia. But I was thinking of, uh, I was thinking of something that they all, they, they all, they all did something together. They all sat down and had breakfast. Oh, you're pretty good. <laughs> uh, they all did sold war bonds. Uh, uh, you're probably right. But I'm trying to think of something very clever about what radio show. Well, um... They all starred in a radio show. That would have to be the Jack Benny show. No. No? No. Well, Burton was on so many shows. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to Buck Rogers or whatever. Uh, People who know this is one of my favorite radio shows. That should be a clue. I played oh, it... Oh, 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 oh. I played it last night. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, pick me, pick me. All right. Pick, pick Patricia. Yeah, Halls of Ivy. That's right. They all had Halls yeah, of Ivy and Gilbert was on Halls of Ivy. And the best and Gilgorn originally tried out at the starring role in Halls of Ivy. Oh, <laughs> what a trick question. I know. He's he's cruel. I don't ask those kinds of questions. I, and I was actually going to say there's a, there was another loose connection because, I mean, Gilgorn is associ associated with Lucy and the, the Coleman's. Mm -hmm were the fake neighbors of Jack Benny That's while Lucy good. was That's the real good. neighbor of Jack Benny. Okay, okay. Uh, we all know who, we all know there were two people who were Miss Brooks. One was Eve Arden, who was the other one? We all know that? Yes. We all know that, that was, we all know that. Yeah. We all know that, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to know that we all know that? <laughs> now, was, was this for a, uh, was this like just for a trial? For an yeah, she did, the, she did the audition. So I'm asking, oh. who, who did the audition? Oh, you told us this. I thing. have. Can you read lips? <sighs> and I'll, tell, I'll, t I'll give you both a big clue. She was Miss Duffy of, of, of Duffy Tavern. Oh, there were several Miss Duffy. But she was, the, she was the original. She was married to Ed Gardner. She was a star on Broadway. She was a, And I think she was even nominated for an Oscar. Oh, I'm just going to go get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> Walden have this conversation. This, this is the kind of question that I want Patricia to ask Walden. I know. It's Shirley Booth, everybody. Shirley Booth. Wow, yeah. Hazel. There you go. Okay. I knew that. See? I knew that. I'm just going to learn those roles tonight. And, and, I, and I've actually heard you say this fact. I know. Before. That's why I thought I'd try to help my little family out here and give them, uh, give them baby food. So you've got a question for me to ask Walden? Yes. Is that what you I, said, Paul? I don't. Oh, I thought... I, I'd have to think. I, I just called in because no one had called in about where those people what, what tied them together. Um, oh, you, you're really good on this. What did Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, and Walter Hughes have in common? 
Eagle Scout. All eight hot dogs at Yankee Stadium. Oh, well, I've never been to Yankee Stadium. Boy, that's pretty good, though. Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio. And Walter Hughes. Yeah, and me. What the, what the three of us have in common? Well, I know the three of you didn't marry Marilyn Monroe. That's true. So we crossed that one off. Yeah. <laughs> Only one. You all averaged 400 while playing baseball. Oh, I, I, that's probably... Oh, Joe never did that. Ted and I would have. Uh. You, 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 you've gotten to... It's, it's the same thing as Patricia, Frank Sinatra... And Luke Hattel. Oh, oh. And it's the same thing as you suggested with Patrice Munzel, Bing Crosby. See, but I never would have known the Bing Crosby thing except for the, the fluke of I know. people bombarding oh. with Bing Crosby when I moved yeah. to Washington. I know, I know you were born in California. Very good, Patricia. I ah, great one. Very good, Patricia. Joe DiMaggio was born in New York. Shame no, he was, a, he was a San Francisco boy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, where would you have thought Joe DiMaggio was born? I was about the Midwest. Because it just seems so clean-cut, Mr. Coffee. Oh, no, they, they, the Maggio's were a hallmark here in the San Francisco area. Well, we've just covered all our bases. We've got them in California, the Midwest, and in New York. In New York, yeah. So, this is good. Wow. Well, Paul, I will do my best on my question later. Um, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll be listening for it. You guys have a good evening. I think I got a good one. All right, Paul. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. 714-545-2071. Patricia has Patricia potluck. If you don't know what you want, that is available. That's right. This is true. I have some information about Nigel Bruce this week. Uh, yeah, I have some fun information about Nigel Bruce that you don't even know. Really? Really. You sure about that? I am positive. You're really t positive about I that. I am so positive Paul is going to hurt me if you don't know. <laughs> or if you know the answer, he's going to hurt me. Do you know where Nigel Bruce was born? I do not. Ah, see? Let me think. Uh, would it be Australia? No. New Zealand? No. Wisconsin? No. You're getting warmer, though. <laughs> Born in Mexico. That rings a bell with me. Yeah. Isn't that? Yeah. Uh, his parents were on vacation, and he got born in Mexico. I think that is just so charming south to know that. Of the border down Mexico. Ethel Rathbone was born in South Africa, and Nigel Bruce was born in Mexico. So they and just both postured as Englishmen. How about that? And both of them were Englishmen. This is good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've. I've got. Um, good stuff about Nigel Bruce. I think it's good stuff because I just love his performance. You know, I I know there are true uh, Sherlock Holmes experts that just cannot stand it. And I just, I just think Rathbone Bruce made the character. I, I don't care if it's not really the real McCoy or not, but it's just it's how I identify mm -hmm. the, the role. I have the problem that they put... Nigel Bruce in a role where he was uh, a bumbling buffoon. Right, and a lot of people he, have trouble with that. Uh, they they had a lot of trouble with that. But you know, he he played he played the role well. And he, like one writer said, uh, I read this earlier. If there was a pail in the room, his foot would eventually be in it. Mm -hmm. And it's true. It was almost a slapstick type thing that they did to him. But it wasn't in every scene, and. 
he always had something in a movie or a radio show where he redeemed himself. He either saved Sherlock Holmes or he came up with something and unknowingly gave Sherlock Holmes a clue. There was always something that he did in a show or a movie that was a redemption of sorts. But he really was kind of a... I'm just thinking out loud here. I know why Mr. Rathbone left the radio show. Did that, did his film contract with Columbia end at the same time with Sherlock Holmes? I wonder, did he walk completely away, or did he still have to do some of the movies? I know the movies were in the 1940s. He he had, um... Because it pretty much did Columbia Pictures. I think it was all Columbia, if I recall, or, or Universal. I can't remember one of the he two. He had, um, two... Universal, yeah. I think two with Columbia, and the rest were Universal. Uh, there were 14 movies, and the first two were with... One studio and the other twelve were with another yeah, studio. And I think it was from thirty-eight um, until forty-six. They messed up. They really messed up in the movies in the nineteen forties because, well, I'll, I'll go down to what Nigel Bruce said about it. Um, the, the way they set it up, they had a lot of propaganda mm-hmm. that went along with the nineteen forties movies. Right. Uh, let's see, Nigel Bruce. Um, what, they're chasing Nazi spies or something? I beg your pardon? They were chasing Nazi spies or something. They were, and, uh, and Nigel Bruce said, the stories we did were modernized, and this was in the movies, <clears throat> excuse me, but the characters of the famous detective and his biographer were kept more or less originally written by Conan Doyle. Watson, however, in the film was made much more of a comic character than he ever was in the books. Let's see, um... Basil and I were very much opposed to the modernizing of these stories, but the producer, Howard Benedict, pointed out to us that the majority of youngsters who would see our pictures were accustomed to the fast-moving action of gangster pictures, and that expecting machine guns, police sirens, cars traveling at 80 miles an hour, and dialogue such as, put em up, bud, uh, uh, put em up, bud, they would be bored with the magnifying glass, the handsome cabs, and the cobblestones, and the slow tempo of an era that they never knew. And that's exactly what has happened throughout the you know, entire industry. That seems strange to me because the Gantor movies were really a product of the early 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, Bone, Rathbone and Bruce were the late 30s and the 40s. I'm, I'm surprised to well, think. The movies started, I might, it might have been like 38 or 39. Um, and then the bulk of the movies were in the 1940s, right. so that, but, that would have been correct. But I'm just thinking the gangster movies that I'm thinking of were mostly of the of the 30s. They really, I don't think, sprinkled into the 40s per se. Hmm. I'm thinking of, you know, Edgar G. Robinson and Jane Cagney, all those famous gangster movies were pretty much all the 30s yeah. era. Well, I'll have to go back and and do some digging around with movies of the 40s, but there certainly were um, police scenes. I mean, like we talk today, everything, if if it's not exploding, it's not... Mm -hmm. I I was thinking, well, I was thinking of the 40s would have been... Well, we we had the war movies, and maybe, you know, that that would have been the shooting up, you know... uh, and that would have been exactly right. Yeah. They were. Yeah. If were, they were comparing to the horror movies, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they had spy movies. They spy. Had, I think one was the lady in the green dress. Yeah. And yeah. they really are not nearly as pleasurable 
to watch as the radio shows are to listen to. Well, you know, I have argued, though, one of the things that make the Sherlock Home property so valuable, the, the rights holders allowed it to be adapted into different formats and generation, and that's why it's still a viable character, while some properties, uh, I think, who are great 50, 60, 70, been put on the shelf, and so the people don't know them as well, for AKA, thanks to the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger was put on the shelf for 25, almost 30 years until this new Lone Ranger movie coming out. Yeah. We can't say that about Sherlock Holmes, that's always have had a, a TV version or something else mm -hmm. over the last... Yeah, there's always been something, something there. And we did have a really fine PBS Sherlock Holmes series. Right. With Jeremy, and I can never remember the poor man. Uh, I think Brits, isn't it, Jeremy? Thank you. Yeah. You, you wouldn't th you'd think that I would remember something like that. Jeremy Brett. Um, so you're right. He, he has always been in the forefront. Mm -hmm. And the, the Sherlock Holmes books, the, the anthologies and the short stories themselves, are timeless. They're, they're on every, I say everybody's bookshelf. I mean, anybody who, who really enjoys mystery and old-style old writing loves Sherlock Holmes. It's like Dickens, for goodness sakes. We never run out of Christmas Carol. That gets passed on and on and on and on and on, and so does Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely. I have spoken. All right, folks, here's another, here's another trivia question. Oh, my gosh. All right, what city do these detectives are based in? Where's Philip Marlowe? Where's his home base? Los Angeles. What is... What is... No home base, everybody. New York. Where is... Simon Temple's home base? Ah! And where is Richard Diamond's home base? If you don't know the answer, give us a call. 714... Five four five two zero seven one. Simon Templer. Where is? I Phil Simon Templer was New York also. Where is Philip Marlowe, Simon Templer, Wolf, Richard Diamond? Where the home base of operation? I don't know Richard Diamond. Oh yes, I do. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. Yes, you do. No, you do. Yes, do, do, I do. do. Yes, yes, I do. do. <laughs> See, you know stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, one, one, one out of one. <laughs> I'm, I'm functioning on 100%. I'm just going to, to stop talking here. Okay, what have we got here? I, you know, I have never gotten to buzzwords that retailers use to make us buy stuff. We've got rationing during the war. Mm -hmm. Information, haven't done that. Kate Smith, haven't done that. I'm I have historical clips to play. Oh, yeah. I got You got stuff. I got stuff. I got stuff. All, all of us got stuff. And we can always take a break and play stuff. So we're stuff. Yeah. We got plenty of stuff. So you have the turkey. We got the stuff. Say what? If you got the turkey, we got the stuffing. Boy, are we in trouble tonight, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alden has wound up. Uh, okay, I want to remind everybody that in a few weeks, Frank Brzee will be with us to talk about Jim Jordan. Mm-hmm. And I said a couple of weeks ago, just give him a few weeks and he'll be prepared. And I'm going to put together some questions for Frank about Jim Jordan. Frank had a personal relationship with Fibber. So if there are questions or pieces of information you would like Frank to talk about, please send me an email and I will put them on the list. 
email is floridawriter at hotmail.com. That's floridawriter, W-R-I-T-E-R, floridawriter at hotmail.com. And let us know what you would like Frank to talk about in um, about Jim Jordan, Fibber McGee, and the personal relationship that he had with him. And I'm sorry, I haven't gotten around to call Shirley Mitchell June Foray. I had a busy week, and I'll be gone most of the coming week. But we'll get those two ladies on the air with us, too. And any old-time radio personalities you might want me to go look for, we'll give it a try. You know, I like to keep Patricia busy. <laughs> yes, I have. I absolutely need stuff. You know, I mean, if you haven't noticed, really, Walden is Patricia's full-time job. You know, Walden I, is Patricia's full-time job. Uh-huh. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Walden is Patricia's full-time job. When he goes to Washington, it is a full-time job. When he goes to Nebraska, it's a full-time uh-huh. doesn't make any difference. No. Space and time is no, <laughs> no consideration for Walden. I have my story to tell about contacting my phone company. Oh. I want to tell my story about contacting my phone company, and then maybe we could play my awful show. Yep, we're ready. So that would be good. All right, I want to tell people about my phone. Yes, Patricia has a phone. People don't know that she does have one. <laughs> I have a phone. Now, last week, Ron called in, and his wife Gail was on the phone with us, and we were talking about computers. And I said, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I can call you that I've got long distance to Hawaii, but I will check. So I called the phone company the next day, <clears throat> excuse me, and my question was, I have unlimited long distance, but I don't know if it includes Hawaii and Alaska, does it? And the service rep said, are they part of the United States? Um, bum, bum. He honestly didn't know. So I said, I, I told him, yes, they were states. They were part of our 50 states. I said, they were the last two to be included. They are not is it part, you know, contiguous with the 48, but they are 50 states. I said they were the last two to join. I said, oh, yeah, I think I remember that. <laughs> okay. I said, well, the question is, in my unlimited long distance, are they included? And he asked again, are they part of the United States? I said, yes. He said, I guess so. <laughs> Man, I don't want you to guess. I can guess, too. I want to know. He had to transfer me to somebody else. That man did not know that Alaska and Hawaii were part of the United States. So the running gag been on the email with Wall and Patricia today, that California and Florida part of the union. <laughs> right, and I said, I'm not sure because we're like crusts on the edge of That's the right. <laughs> so if you know if California and Florida part of the union, what is no? Let us know. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. my gosh. Yes. I, I said maybe we're cut off because it's like crust on the bread. You know, we're kind of on the edges here. That's right. You're, you're over there and I'm over here. Oh, Mother McCree. Yes. <laughs> Just, I'm not sure where that expression came from, but it's clearly Irish. Irish. Oh, Mother McCree. So, okay, well, we have, let me see what I've got here. Where is my, where is my the Green Valley line? Okay. Can we play the Green Valley line? It's all ready to go. All right. Well, we've got an episode. This is episode 19 out of 26 from the Green Valley line. I've talked about this at different times, and I've put it in my, this is a really awful show. So by comparison to what we heard last week, this is primo stuff. But it was a 
26-episode run. That, that, as far as I know, that was the entire show. It did not come back for another season. I don't think it had a sponsor. I, I believe it was um, a sustaining show. Uh, it was a 15-minute show. We hear music is the filler, so there might have been some local advertising. And it's from 1934. The announcer says railroad stories from 35 years ago, which would put this in the 1889, 1899, I'm sorry, and 2000, help me here, 1899 and 1900 era. It was just yesterday. It was just yesterday, right. And I, I put this in my awful show collection, not so much for the stories, which are kind of, it's, it's a single story and it goes from start to finish. It, it, it was kind of amateurish in the setup and maybe even juvenile, but I put it in there because of the acting. Hello. <laughs> you know, it, it's, um, let me see what we've got here. It sends along dirty work. Cancel but open button. Okay. Um, John Dunning didn't, in, in his book, On the Air, which is a nice and almost an encyclopedic overview of old-time radio, this show didn't even make it. It is not in John Dunning's book. Now, on one of the websites that features this particular show, <laughs> the, the description by an individual, this was the individual who had, who had ownership of these shows, ownership in the sense that he had the shows. When a conglomerate hound wants to gain ownership of the little engine that could, he sends his son along to do the dirty work. You will hear the townspeople band together to save their train from the handsome man attempting to take over. This is a wonderful story which young and old alike will fall in love with, especially if you like railroads. However, <laughs> it has made my awful list. Let me know what you think of the acting in this. This is episode 19. If you ever go across the sea to Ireland Then maybe at the closing of your day You will sit and watch the moon rise over Claddagh And watch the barefoot gossoons at their play just to hear again the ripple of the trout stream The women in the meadows making hair And to sit beside a turf fire in the cabin And see the sun go down on Galway Bay The breeze is blowing o'er the seas from Ireland Are perfumed by the heather as they blow And the women in the upland digging praties Speak a language that the strangers do not know 
For the strangers came and tried to teach us their way They scorned us just for being what we are But they might as well go chasing after moonbeams Or light a penny candle from a star And if there's going to be a life hereafter And faith, I'm sure there's going to be I will ask my God to let me make my heaven In that dear land across the Irish Sea Pretty song. Huh? That was such a sweet song. And I thought it'd be fun because yeah. Patricia loves Irish song. And hello, Carl, you're on the air. Hello, this is your roving reporter, Chad Blue. Hello, hello Chad Blue. How are you? Are you in Iowa, Chad Blue? No, actually, I'm I'm on top of the United States Census Bureau in uh, in uh, Suitville, no wait, Suitland, Maryland. Well, I mean, your timing perfect. You met the earthquake. Yes, I did. <laughs> so what are you doing tonight, sir? Ah, there's a question I wanted to hear. Um, I have been researching the popularity of the name Patricia and Walden. Uh-huh. Oh, gee. And also mine in the spare time. So what have you been able to discover in your research? Well... In short, your names are getting less popular by the day, so enjoy them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just makes us more special. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, although you're not in, um, well, I'm in the same boat as you because my name is also getting less popular by the day. Well, I'm enjoying it also. Well, I think we're all getting more special. I bet there's probably more Chads than Waldens. Well, let's see. Last year, mm -hmm. there were, last year, 18 babies were named Walden. 18? Yeah, 18. All right. This is in the United States. Uh-huh. So, that means Walden's name is ranked 500, or excuse me, 5,199 on the popularity list. So... See how special you are, Walden. Well, so really, I'm sure like the, um... The dodo bird, I'm practically extinct. <laughs> well, maybe not quite. I'm not going to touch dodo bird work. <laughs> I can't have a ticket of Fern McGee and Molly about that, the dodo bird. Uh, the carrier pigeon, you know. That's right, the carrier pigeon. Yeah. Okay, so how did Patricia do this year? Well, uh, well, I do have one more statistic on Walden. Um, in 1999... There were only six babies named Walden, so that made it 9,846th in popularity. Do we? How far do you census go back? Do you know when, well, how popular Walden was with, at, at, at any point in our U.S. history? 
Well, I do know that in the, let's see, I think it was the 1950s, there was at least one person named Walden Bourne. Well, I was born in 1966. Oh, 60s, okay. 66. Sorry, I made you a little older. I know. Well, that's okay. So I, well, but this is good because more more Waldens were born last year. People are listening to the radio shows, Walden. Can you imagine the probably family adopting and naming their kids after us? Exactly. How about exactly. that? Okay, what else have you got, sir? Well, Patricia's name is a little bit better. Um, last year, there are 474 babies named Patricia. That's all? I'm surprised. Wow. So that, so, so that made that 615th in popularity. And that is that is down from 1998, when there were 1,704 babies named Patricia born that year. Well, they weren't right. named Patricia when they were born, but they were named that afterwards, I assume. <laughs> well, maybe they were. Um, that's really, I would have thought more. I, I'm more specialer than I thought. Well, I wonder, well, I wonder if there's actually people naming their kids by Pat rather than Patricia now. Mm, no. You don't think so? No, not, not Pat. Um, maybe Trisha. Okay. Well, here's a little good news. Okay. 21 years ago in 1990, the name Patricia was ranked number two. <laughs> Are you serious? Wow. Yes. And boy, did I plummet. What happened? Well, they realized they couldn't compete with the real thing. I wasn't around. I mean, I didn't find you folks until, what, 2003? I know, but you're the real thing. So when, when word got around that there was a Patricia in Florida, oh. they didn't want to compete anymore. They just, they, they just laid, they said, they, they gave up. Okay, we, um, Chad, do you accept that? Um... I'll keep out of this argument. <laughs> Not quite. I can hear it in your voice. Well, um, my name did a little bit better than Walden's, but not quite as good as Patricia's. Last year, well, actually it was a little better last year, but there were only 457 babies named Chad last year, so it was 547 in popularity. Well, but that's, um, that's how many Patricia's were there last year? Four hundred and uh, uh, four hundred uh, seven hundred forty-seven, or was it four hundred and seventy-four? Four seventy-four. Four seventy-four. Yeah. Four seventy-four. So you and I are right around the same. Yeah. But when you consider that my name has been going down in popularity since the nineteen sixties, and yours has only been going down in popularity since the nineteen nineties, I'm doing worse. Going down, it took a dive. So. Chad? Yeah, actually. How, did, how in the world did you get your name? Was it a family name? How did it come down? Um, I'm not quite sure. I guess just picked it out. And my sister's it? name was picked out for like 10 years. Um, <laughs> so I guess there was one case of one person being named before they were born. But I don't know how my name was picked. You don't know. But I do know that they, uh, they named a country after me, though, or vice versa. A country? And right, you, I forgot and about that. you know what, or province, maybe you would call it, do you know where that is? I do not the know. The question. Africa. Walden does not know. I do not know. I think it was this moment. <laughs> you know, I, I, 
I don't know what is this with this group. I, I just have this reputation I know everything, which I really don't. That's because you've been promoting yourself and knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see the sign over his bedroom door. So, Patricia, do you know where this country is? I believe it was in Africa. Yep. At the very center of Africa, or pretty close. So, Sean, is it, is it your goal and your item to go visit your own country? Um, actually, no. No? I, well, not anymore. Okay. I was kicked out of there a few years ago. <laughs> it was the name Baloo that did you in. It could be. <laughs> I guess they thought I was French. Oh, no, can't do that in chat. So, how are you doing as a real person? Not as Chad Baloo, but as Chad Chad. I'm doing just as fine as Chad Baloo is. I think. How about that? Well, how is your recording deal coming down? Have you finished it up yet? I know a few months ago you started it. Have you finished um, all, all the tracks? Where, where are you in your project? Well, I finished that one session, but it didn't turn out quite as I had hoped it would, so I'm going to have to re uh, redo some things, and that'll probably be within next few weeks or next couple months, okay. hopefully. Okay. For folks who have missed it along the way, Chad is a musician. ChadRinney.com, if anyone's interested. Spell it for them, please. C-H-A-D-R-I-N-N-E.com. And now you know where our Chad is. All right. Well, now, I really do appreciate the, um, the information that I'm taking a nosedive, Chad. <laughs> I thought I'd call and cheer you up. I know. Uh, I would have guessed that I was more popular than that. Well, Patricia's unique. She's a new, a unique person, and I just realized that. It's, it seems like pretty soon I will be. Uh-huh. My gosh. Okay, do you want a question? Um, sure, but first I have a couple questions. Oh, uh, okay, I'm sorry. Walden, who did you say Frank Sinatra's agent was? His, ori his original agent was George Stevens. Was he the guy they called Kingfish? <laughs> I thought about it, but you're, but you're right. But no, it, it, it's very similar. Yep. His original agent was George Stevens. It just so happened to be, not be the same. He was, he had another gig besides playing a character on Amos and Andy. Not the Kingfish. Yeah. Not the Kingfish. You mentioned there was somebody who made a singing debut on September 8th. 1935, <laughs> <laughs> the Hoboken Four. Just think of... <laughs> I don't know. They seem so happy, I guess, and it's everybody else happy. Tell me, where do you work in Hoboken? Well, I worked in a silk mill. I see. This party here was a page in the curb mark. <laughs> I see. And what about the other one? Well, Jimmy, he's in his, his father's ice cream pot. <laughs> and this fellow here never worked at all. <laughs> I'm Frank Major. Uh, we're looking for jobs. How about it? 
Uh, everyone that's ever heard us liked us. We think we're pretty good. Sinatra, man and his music. Only in America could all that's happened to me happen to a guy like me. Anywhere else, I might have wound up digging coal or herding sheep or stuffing fortune cookies. Oh, respectable enough jobs, but I imagine for me a bit frustrating. My country has let me sing for my supper and then paid me for the food I eat. Whatever I try to give to my country, it keeps giving right back to me, compounded every hour on the hour. I've had my ups and downs, but who hasn't? And you better believe me, Buster. Anyway, I got, a, I got together a quartet, see? And we were called the Hoboken Four. And in those days, there was a very big radio program on called Major Bowes, Major Edward Bowes. Now, Ted Mack today in television is a spinoff of the original radio show because he used to work for Bowes. And Bowes used to come on the air and he'd say, uh, the wheel of fortune spins round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. That was the dullest opening I ever heard on any radio show. Wait a minute, now. All right. Thank you, Graham, and good evening, friends. We start the dizzy spin of the Wheel of Fortune. Around, around she goes. And how about that, Chad? You're right on the money. Congre as, soon as, as soon as you said Hoboken, I said, I know, I know. <laughs> you were right in there, Chad. You were right on the money, so I had that. Uh, you know, Frank Sinatra had such an endearing voice before he tried to culture it. I mean, you could obviously he had um, a pronounced New Jersey flavor to his voice when when you heard him talking there. But when he did Rocky Fortune, he had this kind of casual, I don't know, just conversational type voice that was not cultivated, and it was absolutely charming. I love that show. Definitely, you know, he he was a unique guy and unique characters, a lot of legendary stories about him, and, uh, if we have time, well, it may all stick this in another night, I have a, a, a complete biography he sat down and narrated his, pretty much his radio career. Wow. Yeah, so we'll, we might feature that. That's not Chad, the, is Chad still with us? You bet. Chad? Well, yes. Um, Chad? Now, uh, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, um. Now, going from Frank Sinatra to Bing Crosby, I, I read the other day that on, I guess, the Silco show in 1947 to 48. Right, 46 um, to 49, uh-huh. Well, to 47, I read that in 1947 that he started recording onto tape. Correct, and, correct. And, they, and that they did that on one of the German tape machines that they'd recovered after the war. Correct. And it, basically what it was, the Germans were the first one to come up what we call a tape recorder, the reel-to-reel machine. And we captured it in World War II, and an engineer decided to bring it in the United States. Bing Crosby heard about it, he bought stock. He bought the company, Ampex, and he thought it would be a great way for him to go hunting and fishing. You know, Bing was known to enjoy the finer things in life. You know, no sense in working. You know, just let that be. So... Uh, he asked NBC would they let him tape his show ahead of time, and they said no. So he left. ABC, who was just starting, gave him everything. He said, okay, you can record your shows, 
and long as he meets a certain rating criteria, that show that's what Bean did. He would, would one or two weeks, record a bunch of shows, and go off and hunt and fish the rest of the time. So he was responsible for why we have tape. Well, I, I read that they used the actual original tapes that they found in Germany, and there weren't very many of them, so that after each show was recorded and then aired, they reused the tape. So do we have any of those recordings from the 47 and 48? Yes, what they did, they would use the tape, and then they would transfer it to transcription records. So we have them all. So they just took the tape and then transfer them uh, to, to the 16-inch record. Um, Is that what they played on the air, the yes. 16-inch record? Yes. They played the 16-inch records on the air. And that's why we have a lot of them throughout the, the hobby, because they were you know, sent to different radio stations. Um, we uh, Now, because when tape really got popular in the late 40s, early 50s, there are some shows we don't have hardly any because tape was so expensive, they just erase the show. For example, The Shadow. We only have like one Shadow show in the last five years because they would erase the tape. Mm-hmm. They would record it and erase it. They would record it and erase it. So some shows we don't have hardly anything from the Tiffies from. And that's why. And I also read he had some, he was funding something called Crosby Video. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, well, is it the, um, I'm thinking, did you, is it about the, the some of the films and things he used to produce? I think that, I, I know he, um, he would used to record the baseball games and things with Crosby's video, but maybe there's some others that you're thinking of that I don't know about. Well, uh, I thought there's something that's supposed to be, um, vi- using videotape for recording. I would not be surprised. TV shows. Yeah. I would not be surprised. Um, you know, for, year, for years, folks, we thought the famous game, the 1960 World Series, uh, Pittsburgh, New York World Series game was lost. It was the famous World Series where Maserati hit the home run. Well, Bing Crosby was the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he filmed it, and it just popped up within the last year. So that's now why we have a copy of the, of the World Series game. So, We're not allowed to talk about that. That's I know. Word. But this is, this is historical information. And I so have one it. more question. Yes. Or two more questions, yes. actually. Are you familiar with Chandu the Magician? I know a little bit of it. You bet. Okay. I was always wondering that funny, the psychic summons music they play that sounds uh-huh. like electronic. Is that electronic music or is that organ music? Played that, is, that, is really, that is really an organ. Um, I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name. He used to play that with a um, bandana around his head. Are you serious? Yes. He was known in the music field to always wearing that outfit. So everything he played. You, you're not talking about the theme song they played at the beginning and the end of this. I am. Yeah, show yeah, are you? I am. I, I was talking about whenever he'd do his meditating or whatever or stare into the crystal ball, there'd be this weird oh. sort of almost music, almost electronic music or something that would hear. It sounded really strange. It didn't sound quite characteristic of an organ. I haven't thought about that. I I would have to listen to that. You you would know probably better than I would, Chad. Well, I'm not really. I'm just... You're just throwing it out on the table, huh? It just sounds interesting and sounds funny. 
From my understanding that, I'm trying to think of the guy, we had a lot of posting on the OTR Digest about this gentleman all about two years ago. And I know he pretty much played throughout the whole 1948 series of Shandu the Musician. It probably, his name is probably in Dunning's book, Patricia. Um, but I, 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 and I've heard guys, people who work the show, they never mention anything unusual about it, though. So, so something like that might have popped up. So I don't know. I okay. don't know. Um, no, I have a, I don't know, this might be a Stump Walden question, but knowing you, it might not be. <laughs> Okay, do you know what Bill Hay did after uh, announcing Amos and Andy? I mean, after the, after he stopped announcing. I'm not sure. When did he stop announcing? Um, I'm 42. Okay, once... Did you uh, know what? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, he he, he sold furniture in Nebraska. And yes. that's, that's how he got started, actually, in radio in the 20s. He started in local radio in Nebraska. And Where? I am trying to think. I I have to go out and pull up the tape, and and he gives this date at the the city in Nebraska, but I've, I've forgotten which one. Uh, so after Amos and Andy, you know, I don't have much of really much knowledge of Bill Hay after. But maybe you know, it, we might find him in one of the reference book to help me figure that out. But I'm not sure after it's. Uh, announcing days what happened to him after Amos and Andy. Did you say Bill H-A-Y-E-S? Uh-huh, correct. Is he the one who did the soap operas? No, I think that, that he is still alive. We're thinking of the announcer for Amos and Andy, Bill yeah. Hay. Uh, okay. I have, your, I have your answer on the Chandu. Okay, what do you got? Well, there were a couple of musicians, but in the 48 to 50 segment of it, um, the organ player was Juan... Rolando, yes. who took air credit under his Hindu name of Korla Pandit. That's it. Korla Pandit. Korla Pandit was the guy who wore this, the, who wore this, this bandana around his head. Uh-huh. I didn't realize he took it to that extreme. Yeah. yeah. So, Walden, um, are you saying that you don't know what radio show Bill Hay did starting on August 9th, 1942? Well, I know he read the Bible, but I don't know anything else be after that. I don't know if that started. Uh, you 40, got it. Was that it? How long did you it go? You got it, yeah. It's how, called Bill Hay Reads the Bible. Now, how long did it go? I don't know. All I, well, when I was researching yeah. in, in Lincoln, I found in local listings this thing that says, Bill Hay Reads the Bible starting on August 9th, but that it wouldn't start on local radio until August 11th for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that, he was, what he, he didn't bother to, he just opened and read. He, he didn't prep or anything for it, and I think it was a national show, and I'm not, that's about all I really know. Um, Are there any recordings? No, no, but, uh, in no. fact, um, when Frank Brzee used to have him as a guest, and I played it last week, he would just go ahead and just re, re, read it out loud. But I've never been able to find any recordings of it from the 42 period. That's too bad. I know. I know. So anyway. I'm supposed, I'm supposed to go out hunting, right? Yeah, could you see, yeah. uh, could you see maybe if you, we have a Bill Hay bio on, in the Radio Stars book? I don't think so. Probably not. It's I'm having probably in Jim Cox's some book. Some of our people there. Chad, what would you like me to send you? Um, 
Do you have any dangerous assignment? Yes, I do. I think I'd like some of those, maybe. All right, Chad, here's a trivia question for you. Uh-oh. Okay. Who owns Dangerous Assignment? Frank, doesn't Frank Brzee own that? Yeah, you're correct. You're, you're on the ball. Because I, I noticed he'd been playing a lot of them on his uh, Golden Days of Radio show yep. on Yesterday USA. Yep, that's Frank's own show. <laughs> Very good. Okay, I've got Dangerous Assignment on my list for Chad. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for the report. And I'm so glad you told me that I'm plummeting in the uh, in the ratings here. <laughs> well, one thing is, I think the, the babies that are named nowadays, that are named Patricia, are not as popular. But the ones that were named, well, whenever you were born, are more popular. So you're still just as popular. I think. Just the younger ones that aren't. I thank you so much for that. Except for Walden. That's right. <laughs> I am a, I'm about as distinct as a dodo bird. You, uh, no, you're not extinct. You are distinct. So, do you know of any radio characters that um, had your name, Walden, or Patricia? Any radio characters? Yeah. Ooh. Any radio characters named Walden or any radio characters? I don't know of any named Walden, but me think. But there's got to be something with Patricia. I think I, I think, think I heard that there's one that has somebody with my name. Well, I think it's I, there was a, town. Okay, I know there's an actual sad story about a real boy, Patricia, who actually died right after a broadcast. She was um, co-starring with Glenn Ford on the Cavalcade of America of February 14, 1949, and she got sick at the broadcast. Uh, Left Tremaine's wife took over the rest of the show, and she soon really passed away right after the broadcast. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, radio is really interesting, isn't uh -huh. it? Uh-huh. Yep. That's awful. I know. But Pat asked me a question, and that's what popped up. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get when you ask Walden a question. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. But, because, I, now, I think of Nick Carter's sidekick, but that was Patsy. Um, Patsy. Patricia. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Chad? Yes. There is, a, there is an old-time radio show opening theme song named Patricia. Oh, that's right. Yeah, what radio show is that? I, something I play almost on a weekly basis right now. I don't remember. I I was thinking, was it Phil Harris? But I'm, that's probably not no, right. No. I don't know. It's Carlton E. Morse's wife is Patricia. And the theme song for One Man Family is actually called Patricia. Named uh, after his wife. Yeah, I remember hearing that yeah, one time. Yeah. Probably from you. Yeah, probably from me. Who else would know something like that? Well, I think I'm going to go bury myself down in the census records and call it a night, and I'll talk to you guys later. All right, Chad. Thanks hey, for calling. Thanks a bunch for calling. Have, have a nice evening. You too, Chad. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. I didn't know there was any other Walden walk in the face of the earth. Well, of course. If you put Walden Hughes in a search engine, you you come up all over the place. I can't believe that. I, I know there's a Walden Hughes. Yeah, I, only I, not all of them are you. No. I, I know there's one other that I know of. 
cross my little heart. There's a bunch of them out there. And stuff like that there. I know. And stuff like that there. I so, thought you only had one. I need to know what the reaction is to the acting on the Green Valley line. Hello there. You're on the air. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hello, Jim. Hi, Jim. Um... First of all, I, we were having First of all, what is Daisy's th third top name? Okay, huh? <laughs> I just want to know what Daisy's third puppy's name. This man is never going to call again. Well, uh, Spot maybe. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I know Spot was Dick and Jane's dog, if you remember those pre-primers in first grade. Oh, no, I thought it was Bonnie's Doggy too. Oh dear. So actually, you know, well, I wonder. I wonder if any Blondie radio fans were fans of the rock group Blondie in the eighties. Uh, oh, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't. Yeah. Uh huh. I don't know. What, I mean, are there, were there music in the eighties? Yeah, there was a group called Blondie that were singers. Anyway, what I wanted to, I'm going to try to answer your Edward R. Murrow question if I can. All three spent time, and I don't, I, I, I know, I know what's the case. Now, who were the three people that was Bing, Edward R. Murrow, and? Patrice Munzel. Well, I know Bing and, and Ed both spent time in the state of Washington. Okay, I do better than that for me. They did better than just spend time. Well, they worked there. They, they did better than that. Uh, well, Bing went, they went to college there. They did better than that. Uh, I don't know. They slept together. <laughs> they were born. They were born in the state of Wisconsin and Washington. Well, actually, I think Ed was born in North Carolina. Oh. Oh, Cat Creek, I believe. Oh, oh. They moved to, his family moved to Washington when he was a child. Well, then the state of Washington is just totally in accuracy than adopting Edward R. Moore, right? Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Then I'll just substitute Edward Marmore and just say, what did Bing Crosby, Patrice Munzel, and Janet Waldo have in common? Uh, Janet Waldo. Uh, what was the first one? Bing Crosby, Patrice Munzel, and Janet Waldo. Oh, they were all interviewed by Walden. Well, they all had radio shows. Yeah, but where are they all from? You know, I don't know. Washington, Seattle? They're from Washington. They're all from Washington? Yes. Okay. 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 Well, Washington's had a lot of famous people, of course. Um, okay, here's my, here's my next... Here's a lot of time here. in the logging camps of here. Washington. You know, he, he did a lot of logging, or worked in lumber camps. Here's my next trivia question for both of you. Okay. When Gracie Allen met George Burns, what was she going to school for? I don't know. Okay. We'll leave that out for the audience. Okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to tell you. I was going to tell you. By the way, we we almost we we got a shut off. Something went wrong with our computer, and my friend had to reboot it. We were listening to Green Valley Lime, and it got shut off. Line, and it got shut off some way. It was the acting. I, I know the Green Valley Line was so awful, you got shut down. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I've been told that that story was produced, that series was produced at WXYZ in Detroit, the same group that did The Lone Ranger and The Green Hornet, and it was one of, one of their early efforts at XYZ. Well, if effort, I think, is a good word to use. Yeah, I gather Green Valley Line is not one of your favorite shows. Well, you know, it's not a bad storyline. It's, it's, 
it's a very light storyline. It's something long, you know, that, that you would expect in a soap opera. Jim, it's just that the acting is so awful. Well, and of course you got to, you have to remember though too, it was the early 30s. Radio, I guess drama was just, I guess you could say in its infancy. Yeah, it was 1934, you're absolutely right. I mean, look at how much more sophisticated, I mean, if you listen to most of those shows from the 30s, if you listen to Police Headquarters, Magic Island, mm-hmm. although uh, Speed Gibson, a lot of those shows, you know, they were they were trying very hard to develop their talent, although some pretty famous people did some of those, I mean, I can't even find who the actors were in this thing. Hmm? I cannot even find who the actors were in this show. And I think I understand why. Nobody wants to take credit for it. Well, I hear there's one that even tops that. There's one called Detectives Black and Blue. Oh. You ever heard it? I, I have never heard the show, but I recognize the name. Why would I recognize? Maybe you've mentioned it before. <laughs> well, it's in the 30s, and there's, not, there's just a few episodes known, I know. I hear it was pretty bad. <laughs> I'm, just only, I'm just trying to think of the name of the famous cop show of the 30s. Police headquarters? No. Calling all cars? Calling all cars. Now, that show, by a lot of people, was pretty good, considering it was the 30s, and it got a lot, of rate, a lot of famous people worked on that show. Yeah, Bill Ropes and William Ben Ropes and directed it or produced yeah, it. Yeah, I think Elias Lewis was on there. I think... Um, in fact, the movie actress Ann Rutherford told me that was her first radio break was yeah. working that show. Well, they had some pretty good stories, mm-hmm. and they yeah. had some that were right up to date. There was one on, I guess, the, the, the San Quentin prison escape or revolt that ha- they broadcast it shortly right after this riot or attempted breakout happened. So the shows were sometimes right up to date. It was a, for its time, it was a good show. It wasn't as sophisticated as later police shows, but for its time, I thought it was a, it was a pretty entertaining show. They, uh, <coughs> you know, they, um, and of course, it was the tie-in with the sponsor, Rio Grande Gas, about how the police car efficiency and their advertising and, uh, how ambulances and fire engines and police cars used Rio Grande gas. That was a good tie-in to the, sh- yeah. to the show. Absolutely. Have you heard many of those, Patricia, the calling all cars? Only a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I've chosen not to listen to a whole lot of them. Yeah. You know, I don't, I never warmed up to those, um, those early police shows where it, what, what is the one, Walden, where the police, they pretend that they're out on... Night Watch. Say that again? Is it, it was Night Watch, where they record the real police in action? Yep, maybe that was it. And there, were, there are a couple of others along the same line. Unit 99 was one. I, I have a hard time with them. Yeah. And in other words, as far as detective shows go, you generally preferred the private investigators to the public investigators. Yes. Yes, I mean, I, I, I could never get warm to, and, and yes, we're, we're pulling up to the curb now, and, and the woman who called about being beaten by her husband is standing right here. Yes, we can see a bruise on her arm. All right, yep. I, guess, I, I guess, now, I don't know the answer to this, but it's an interesting topic. What is the very first private eye show on radio? The very first private eye show? Yeah. Uh, probably... Would you call Sherlock Holmes a private... I think so, but I, I'm trying to think of anything before 1939. Well, he was a detective, but not a private detective. He, he was never paid for his services. 
Is that the definition? I didn't have never thought about that. Okay. I thought of that that yeah. way. J. Fred Mc, the radio historian J. Fred McDonald in his book Don't Touch That Dial, he divided detective shows into three categories in his chapter on detectives and the search for law and order. There were the realistic detectives. And those would be things, shows like Gangbusters, Mr. DA, the FBI in Peace and War. This is your FBI. Uh, he, even, he even included Sherlock Holmes, not because he was a real detective, but because he used scientific means of solving crimes. <laughs> then you had your glamorous detectives. Nero Wolf, Sam Spade, uh, uh, The Saint, uh, let's see, The Shadow, because of his romantic life and adventurous life, uh, uh, Bulldog Drummond. All these detectives had either girlfriends, Johnny Dollar he put in the glamorous uh, field, because they either had girlfriends or flirtatious secretaries or uh, partners, or they had sophisticated tastes like Nero Wolf's orchids and his taste for food. And Then you had your neo-realistic detectives. These were the grim detectives of the 50s, the urban detectives. He would include shows like Dragnet, The Lineup, uh, 21st Precinct, Broadway is My Beat, Pat Novak. In other words, the crimes were in a very grim, urban environment, and those were neo-realistic. So he divided the detective shows into those three categories. And he separated out Pat Novak from the Sam Spade, Philip Marlowe group? Right, because it was a more violent show, you know, uh... Wow. There's a smart way the detective would talk to people. These detectives used disdainful tones of voice. They weren't friendly with clients or police. I mean, it was a, it, he, he, he talked about the structure and the dialogue and stuff. And if you ever read the book Don't Touch That Dial and read the chapter on detective stories, he, he goes into that in greater detail. Hmm. I never thought of it that way. No, I never did either. So, if Mr. Keene, the very first private detective. Well, he might be. You know, he was the longest running. He, he, never, he never took money either. Right. He did, he he was considered a private investigator. He was, and, but, but I never, you know, I don't ever remember Mr. Keene and having been a sort of somewhat of a fan of that show. I don't he ever remember him talking about fees. No, he, he never, and people offered him money and he would say, no, I, I don't. We never found out how he survived, but he never took money. Well, I remember in one episode when the, when the murderer was caught and the, the, the two kids' mother was cleared and the mother was cleared of suspicion, she said something to Mr. Keene. I always remember this. She says, the great God in heaven will reward you, Mr. Keene. And Mr. Keene closed it by saying, knowing that this case is solved or knowing that, I've, knowing that uh, justice has been served is satisfaction enough. Yeah. Words to that effect. He was the goody two-shoes of... <laughs> Yeah, there is, there is one Mr. Keene episode, by the way, and I can't remember which one, where he actually told Mike Clancy to hush. That's right, he, and it happened a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> well, I remember in one, Mike wanted to get rough with some. Let me handle him a minute, boss, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, we were talking before about Nigel Bruce and uh, Sherlock Holmes with Basil Rathbone. And when Rathbone left the radio show, 
Tim Conway was the first one to take over, and according to the descriptions, they gave it to Tim Conway because he sounded most like Basil Rathbone. Yes, well, Tom, Tom Conway. Me, I don't think so. Tom Conway. Well, he was George Saunders' brother too, and he had right. played. He had played. Uh, Conway had played. I think the. I think it was the Falcon in pictures. Right, and then George Saunders played the Saint. Yeah. Now, when they put Conway in that role, I believe he was the one who portrayed the character as being very harsh to uh, Watson. Correct. And it it was just so disturbing to me to hear him say, shut up, Watson. That when, when Rathbone would often say, quiet, or something like that. It, uh, you know, I would hear him say either quiet or quiet when, when, when Watson would start to talk. Of course, what's interesting is I've been told the way Bruce played Watson was totally different than the way Doyle had him in the in the novels. That is correct. That is correct. And one, uh, we we talked a little bit about this earlier. I've got some background information about Nigel Bruce and some quotes from him. And among the quotes is a discussion he had about what a departure the radio and movie character was from the uh, the way. Arthur Conan Doyle wrote it in the short stories. And he was really a helper to Sherlock Holmes in the short stories. And he was not only a biographer, but he was really a good assistant. And that's not the character portrayal that was on radio or in the movies. Well, I, someone told me once that uh, that was a common device in movies and radio and television, I guess, is to make the, 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 the smart detective or the smart... Uh, Western hero had to have either a dumb or less than bright partner to, sh to separate him from the smartness of the partner. I mean, I've been told that's why, I don't know if this is true, but I've been told, for example, that's why Andy Devine was Wild Bill Hickok's partner, Jingles. Sure, and we had Pancho with the Cisco Kid. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. There was always, well, even with Mr. Keene and Mike Clancy, the assistant was always always needed the guidance of the kindly smart person who was so gracious with the dumb one but, I, I agree but you didn't think of that as the married couples I'm thinking Nick and Nora Charles or uh, Nora was was kind of a doofus too Nora, then I, I, I was thinking Gary and Pam North yeah and of course you Pam had pretty uh, sharp right and, of course, all, most of these detectives were not on good terms with the police in their cities. You know, uh, they did not, although Mr. King got along with the police, uh, but most of your, your detectives, uh, like Novak, always was at odds with Inspector Hellman, for example. And, of course, Richard Diamond, well, he got along with uh, Lieutenant Levinston. He and Sergeant Otis were always at odds. Always at odds, yeah. Well, Otis was such a... A dummy. It was easy to be at odds with him. Dollar got along with Lieutenant Singer, of course, very well. Uh-huh. Uh, let's see. Uh, Inspector Nero Wolf and Inspector Kramer. Inspector Kramer, at least in the book, seemed always more irritated with Archie than he did Wolf. Well, he wasn't too pleased with Wolf, but Wolf was his intellectual superior. Archie actually was his intellectual superior as well, but he was an easier target to go after. 
Right, well, you know, what I, first of all, I always, you know, I always enjoyed in the books, it wasn't so clear on the radio show, but in the books, I always enjoyed it when, you always enjoyed the scene in the last, next to last chapter, when Wolf would have everybody in his office in the chairs and Inspector Kramer there, and he would slowly go over details of how he came to the conclusion of who the killer was. Right, and the killer would always be in the red leather chair. I never realized that. I guess that's right, isn't it? Every time. I don't think every time, but the key person, um, the key person would be in the red leather chair. Yeah. Well, what I always, I remember in one of the cases, uh, when he caught the murderer, he offered beer to everybody else, and he told Inspector Kramer, take the suspect away. He says, I wouldn't want to give, because the case involved a poisoning, and he says, I wouldn't want to give you beer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to offer you beer because it might be poisoned or something. In other words, he, uh, he, uh, but he offered beer to everybody except the murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a, you know, that was a, he had, I always enjoyed the books because of his idiosyncrasy. I heard the books ever before I ever heard the radio show. Yeah. And I, I did too. I, I really enjoy the Nero Wolf books. I've not gone through all of them. I think I'm pretty much through the Agatha Christie ones, but I still have a bunch of Nero Wolfs left to read. And they're fun. They're just brain candy fun. Well, you know, you always think about all these all these foods that he would eat. You'd, you'd hear about him, his, his idiosyncrasies, his two hours with the orchids in the morning and his two hours in the afternoon, and never discussing business at the table, uh-huh. all his... Uh, his rules of behavior, and yeah. when he'd get annoyed, he'd say, confounded Archie, or something, or phooey. Phooey, yes, it was, it was phooey. Uh, Rex Stout must have been quite a remarkable person. Walden, you would know more about this than I, because he truly understood food, he truly understood gourmet preparation, he truly understood orchids, so he, he probably was, a, I mean, this is not the kind of stuff that you just walk around and pick up a book and say, okay, I'll make this gourmet dinner for tonight. I mean, he really knew. Well, and also, um, his daughter says his writing style was unique. He would uh, live in the Northeast on a farm, and he spent year-round walking on the farm, and while he was walking with his hand, he was walking on a story. And then when it got to winter, when he couldn't walk outside, he could put himself on a clock to type this all out in one month, and he got it done. Well, you know, when you think about the time sphere, time sphere of his writing, mm-hmm. the first Nero Wolf book, if I remember right, was in 1934. That would be about right. Yeah, until 75. And he, and he wrote, his last book was in late 74. Mm-hmm. So, that's quite a span of books. And, 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 of course, they were all done in chronological order. So you were, if it was a 1936 story, it was said in 1936 because he mentioned dates and everything, and it was uh, there were so many good ones. Uh, there's one where he took where Nero Wolf takes on the FBI. It's a book called The Doorbell Rang. That was one of my favorites. Which is one I think his first because a movie was made out out in the 30s right away. Yeah, there was one called uh, uh, Too Many Women was a good story. Mm-hmm. There was one called Murder by the Book. Uh, Plot it yourself. Uh, the right, a right to die, uh, mother hunt, father hunt, death of a dude, death of a doxy. There were so many of them, and they were all enjoyable. I, I can't think of a bad Nero Wolf story though, of the ones I've read. I haven't read them all, but I've read a number of them. You talk about the enormous number of books. I can't recall 
the number of books is something like 84 actual novels. But that doesn't include his short stories. It doesn't include his articles. It doesn't include the work that he did under pen names. This man was such a prolific writer, it would blow your mind. And before that, he worked in banking, I understand. And he, and he, had, a, he had some major banking uh some major change in American banking he created. I don't remember what it was, but it was something that really revolutionized the banking industry. And he had his own radio show. Yeah. He was a host of his own radio show. Speaking of liberty, right? right. A World War II propaganda Correct. show. He did not, I've been told he was not happy with the radio adaptations of Nero Wolf. No, he, 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 he listened to the five minutes of the first show and shut it off. And I never, never heard any more of it. Well, Raymond Chandler, I'm told, was not happy with the first Philip Marlowe, the one that Van Heflin played in. Right. Uh, he told, he wrote, supposedly he wrote Earl Stanley Gardner and told him, what was it he said? I'm trying to, it left me cold. He said the first radio Philip Marlowe show just left him cold, although he did like Gerald Moore's performance more, of course. Well, and I'm, I'm just thinking about Sam Spade. Um, you know, basically, you know, Dashiell Hammett just loaned his name to the show. He didn't have any involvement with the radio series. And, of course, he had not, it, it, the same thing was true with the Fat Man. He yeah. created the character, mm -hmm. but he never did Fat Man books. Brad Runyon was strictly a radio creation. Creation, yeah. Although I, I always enjoyed the fat, personally, on radio anyway, I always enjoyed the fat man more than the thin man. But there was a fat man movie, too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Did you enjoy the fat man, Patricia? I like the fat man. Uh, he's, he's kind of pompous and goes a little bit overboard with the writing, but I like it much better than the Thin Man, and I love the Thin Man movies, but the Thin Man radio show just didn't make it. Okay, who's the sponsor of the Fat Man radio show? Of the Fat Man? Um, Moving Pink Pepto-Bismol. That's right, and you'll feel good yeah. in the morning. You guys are good. <laughs> and, uh, that show, and I would have to struggle to spit that one out. Did you enjoy The Saint on radio, Patricia? Love The Saint. And Vincent Price was sure good in it, wasn't he? So good. I mean, he, he was about as bouncy and off-the-cuff and off-the-shoulder type presentation as he was in real life. Mm-hmm. You could just feel the sophistication he put in that role. I mean, you, you, uh, did, did you ever hear the Johnny Dollar episode where Vincent Price guested? It was a guest star. You bet. Did we play that one night, Walden? Um, Fame Matter, I think, was the name of it. I don't know if we played it on the air yet. I, well, if we didn't, we'll have to. It was, Maybe we should do that next week. It was a good story. Great story. He played himself in the story. Uh-huh. Vincent Price played himself, and Johnny Dollar was sent out to find some artwork that he couldn't report stolen to the police because he had got them, gotten them, how did you put it, Walden? <laughs> you, you did it really well. Uh-huh. Gotten it by unconventional means. means. I yeah, I think that was probably the way I phrased it, yeah. Unconventional yeah. means. So he wasn't in a position where he could call the, um, the police to recover the artwork, so he called Johnny Dollar, and it was it was great. It was up at a point in the series when, for a short time, they were actually using personalities and having the personalities use their own names. So Vincent Price was just one of several, not a lot, but there were a couple uh, within that same time frame. There was one called there was one I think it's a Hollywood mystery matter where Parley Bear. 
played a part, and I think they actually called him Parley Barringer. Parley, you know, he used the net, and he yeah. didn't call himself Parley Bear. Yeah, it was Parley Bear and, and Johnny Dollar. They used his, uh, played off his name, and had Parley played the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, they had some, um, the other thing that was interesting about Johnny Dollar is whenever he'd go to Corpus Christi, Texas, to solve, solve a case, his bro- Jack Johnstone's brother, Doug, was always down there. And Jack Johnson, of course, was the writer of the Earth Truly Johnny Dollar shows. And Doug, Do- John- Doug Johnstone always helped Johnny solve the case in some way whenever he was in Corpus Christi. Mm-hmm. That was kind of fun. And what was also fun is when he would, uh, if, say, he'd make a trip to San Francisco on a case, he'd stop in, he'd say, I stopped in to say hello to my friends at KCBS. Uh-huh. Or whatever city he was in, he'd mention the radio station in that city. <laughs> Occasionally he'd be on a plane and someone would ask his name and he'd tell him, he'd say, oh, you're that guy with the radio show every week. Yeah. Well, one of my absolute favorites is one of, one of the last Bob Bailey ones. It's called The Five Down Matter when they celebrated his fifth anniversary as Johnny Dollar. And uh, he starts getting calls from all of his clients that need his service at the same time. It's one of the most hilarious stories you'd ever... If you, it's September 25th, 1960. Well, I'm going to have to go out and, and dig through my files. I have not heard that one, and I thought I've been through most of them. Now, I've never heard... Speaking of... I've never heard the last episode. It was called the tip of... You mean the last of the whole series? The last of the whole series. It's called the tip-off matter. Yeah, I mean, I, and it's interesting how it ended, but I've never sat down and heard the show yet. Right, and what was interesting... And it was... Uh, and what's funny is, and looking back on it now, they did not announce at the end it was the last show. They uh-huh. just did the show. No announcement. This concludes the current series. Yeah. Nothing like that. But if you listen to the previous week's show, and of course now we can look back on it in hindsight, you really, if you were listening at the time, you would have really had to pay close attention or grasp it because when Mandel Kramer is previewing the next week's show, he says... I hope you'll make it up when, when the announcer said, here is our star to tell you about next week's story. He says, next week, I hope you'll make it something to the effect next week. I hope you'll make it a point to listen. You may be very sorry if you miss it. It's called the tip-off matter. And, of course, that might have been a hint, you know, that if you if you miss next week's show, you'd, you'd miss the last show. Yeah. Uh, but there was no announcement at the end that it was the last show. Same way as suspense. They just did the last show, and it just went off the air. And what was weird about... Uh, I learned from a friend of mine, George Fowler, who used to have a company called The Great Radio Shows. He had the copy of The Last Johnny Dollar in Suspense in the early 70s, late 60s, and he obtained him from an engineer that worked at the CBS affiliate in Little Rock, Arkansas. And the engineer taped it off the CBS radio network line. And what was interesting about that last day, September 30th, 1962, Listeners in the Midwest missed much of that last hour because that's the same day that James Meredith uh, tried enrolled at the University of Mississippi, and there was all that racial tension down there. And the last episode of Johnny Dollar and Suspense were interrupted by Meredith bulletins and updates. And the only reason they got the last episodes is he was able to take the West Coast feed off the CBS line. Huh? So listeners in the Midwest that Sunday didn't get to hear the last two episodes uh, in their entirety. And I know, and of course, no one, 
you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that was right or wrong. I'm just saying it's just ironic that on the day that the last two shows of the Golden Age of Radio aired, they would have to be interrupted by bulletins. We're preempted, yeah. Well, you know, the same thing happened on the last day that the Breakfast Club aired in much of the country. On December 27th, 1968, the Breakfast Club in those days was divided into two sections. In the last year it was on. There were two 25-minute sections, and it was a five-minute newscast between sections for other for affiliates. Well, on that day of the last Breakfast Club, that's the same day that Apollo 8, the one that went near the moon at Christmas time, splashed down. And the splashdown took place during the second half of the Breakfast Club. Oh, my gosh. So a lot of listeners in the Midwest missed the second half of the last Breakfast Club. I think ABC replayed it later. So West Coast stations got the West Coast feed because the, the copy most people have is the West Coast feed. But I'm just thinking it's just ironic that on the very last day of a major radio show that had been on 35 years, mm-hmm. it would have to be preempted for a news event. Yeah. Aww. I mean, I know news is important, but, you know, you... When an era in radio comes to an end, it's just, it's just a shame that, you know, a lot of listeners missed it. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. But I guess, uh, I guess that just, you know, uh, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's a conscious thing, I guess. You know, I remember about a few years ago, one poor C- one CBS official on the television network got fired because he made the decision, well... It was the day that Yasser Arafat died, and they interrupted the last five minutes of CSI New York Whoops. on the East Coast to give you a, a bulletin about Arafat's death. And it caused such an outrage of phone calls of the switchboards at CBS that the official that made that decision actually got fired. Well, CSI, it must have been, um, I, I don't think CSI was on when Arafat died. Probably something like Hill Street Blues? No, it was there. I was told CSI, New York. Oh. And, but but the thing, you know, the thing was, it was like only five minutes in the story were left, so the naturally listeners missed the last five minutes of the story. What I always hated about bulletins, any bulletin, is they would, if they interrupted it for something, they never stopped the recording of the program and just picked it up right after the bulletin. You know, if it was a five-minute news report, you'd miss the five minutes of the program. Yeah, well, they'd have to because of the timing of it. They couldn't do it any other way. I can imagine in the old days of radio, that must have been a real problem for the live, when those shows were done live. I imagine that must have been a real challenge for the live actors, you know, to... uh, They did not know. They just kept on, they were in one studio, they kept oh. acting, and it was, the new bulletin was in a separate studio and a separate hookup, so they never knew. Well, you know, once in a while we'll hear something like on Fibber McGee and Molly Harlow, Wilcox will say something similar to, we will interrupt as if news bulletins happen. But on December 9th he said that in 41. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we never... We never heard any interruptions on those shows. Right. I don't know how they would have handled it on a Fibber McGee and Molly. They would, have they, they would have just gone over it and you would have missed the show. Just preempted it. They would have kept on acting. Yes. And they just would have broken in. Yeah. I do know in 1946, on November 5th, the day they went, the McGee, the Jordans went to Racine, there was a, there was, a, there was election night and they, they, started, they, did, they only did a 25-minute show and did a five-minute election update at the end of the... Uh, November 5th show. Uh-huh. 
And I, I've been told, and I don't know if this is true, or this is an urban legend. I was told back in the 70s that on December 9th of 1941, President Roosevelt He, he, he probably scheduled that he could get the maximum audience and probably having Fermagin Molly as a uh, lead in. So that's what he did the night for D Day. You know, Fermagin Molly led into the FDR prayer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right. And, uh, Makes sense. But, and, you know, Roosevelt knew radio, you know, remember? Um, he was a pioneer, you know, the fireside chaps. Well, he, he, he certainly put. His, his wife had a radio show on Sundays. Right. And. Uh, 1941, her competition for three years was the Great Gildersleeve. Right. Well, Mr. Roosevelt didn't bother to listen to his wife's radio show. He listened to Gildersleeve? He listened to Gildersleeve instead. I think most of us probably would have. <laughs> my, my mom had a lot of respect for FDR as a president, and she thought a lot of him. But she said once, you know, she said Eleanor was not a good radio speaker. Her voice. No, it, well, her voice... It, it, what she said superseded how she said it. The American people really tapped into who she was as a person and that she could really connect to them, and they made do with her voice. She really did not have a pleasant voice to listen to, but she was so well-respected that it didn't matter. Then it got me listening to the couple next door from the late 59. She was doing coffee commercials. Oh, yeah, yeah, good luck, Marjorie, that's right. Yeah. She was, she was, so she was a spokesperson. One of those for Patricia. I know. She was a spokesperson for a margarine product. Yes. And, you know, when I first heard that commercial, I don't remember if it was on The Couple Next Door or if it was on a newscast from 59. Norman Rose introduced her and said, ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Franklin D. Roosevelt. And she says, when we sit down to breakfast, don't you often think of the starving people of the world? And I think it's going to be a public service announcement for care or something like that. And then she said... Don't you wish we could share our foods with them? Wholesome foods like good luck margarine. I thought, wow. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, but it, um, you know, it, it sold a lot of margarine. But of course, good. I don't know if good luck even exists anymore. I don't know. But I do. But it was just weird hearing the f a former first lady yeah. endorsing a um, a product like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, you know, it. Uh, the other thing is, you know. Um, Roosevelt on that. Uh, it's also interesting. I still find it interesting that on those D-Day soap operas, mm -hmm. in some cases, even in the soap, they would talk about D-Day in various ways. Like Aunt Jenny, I think went to. Didn't she go to church on June sixth or something? Uh huh. Well, they they opened the show, and and it, it pushed well. I don't. There's no more news on the radio. Yes, yes, dear. And on the guiding light uh -huh. on June seventh, the the hero of the story, who was the minister, mentioned right. D Day. It, it, they they had their D Day church service. Right. And um, yeah, and of course, on Light of the World, they simply adapted it and mentioned. You know, D Day was mentioned as part of the. Uh, but it was just interesting how they would they would adapt they they would adapt their scripts to fit to fit the day. And what was also interesting about that Fibber McGee and Molly on June sixth. It was all mainly music. The Jordans hardly appeared at all. That's but, right. Same thing with Bob Hope. Bob Hope did the exact same thing. You know, Bob mm -hmm. had the opening monologue. Said, "This is not an evening to do comedy. We're just gonna play music." 
Yeah. You know. And, did, only, and I can't remember, did Red, one, no, he, did Red do any, uh... Yeah, the, Red had a little joke, remember, it was a setup when he sat down and did the Lord's Prayer. Okay. At Junior. Okay. Well, I want to wish you all a nice evening. Well, I do, thank you. Are you in the market for a question? Uh, okay, no, no need for any prize, I'm just so loaded of stuff right now, so... <laughs> Alright, what, what is Daisy's fourth puppy's name? Oh, well, then you're going to make this man go bury himself in his bedroom. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. Okay, what does after Yuen Tin Tin and Lassie all have in common? Say again. What does after Yuen Tin Tin and Lassie have all in common? Well, they're all dogs. Oh, very good, Jim. I'm proud of you. Okay. They all have four paws. <laughs> all right. Let me see if I've got one here that, that really tripped people up tonight. Let me okay. see. I know we've got one. Um, Got that one. Got that one. Okay. Who did Jack Benny refer to as the mayor? Say again. Who did Jack Benny refer to as the mayor in many shows? The mayor. Mayor. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. Mayor of Van Nuys. Bing? No. Nope. I don't know. Okay, well, we're going to hang on to that one. That's one you remind me one of your other callers will know. Uh-huh. Um, we did that one. We did that one. Let's see. Ooh, comics. I've got a Blondie comics for it, but I won't do that to you. <laughs> and I won't do that to you. Um... And I won't do that to you. All right, who were Bob and Betty Regent? Who was what? Bob and Betty Regent. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I got you twice? Yeah. Ooh, who played the role of Walter Denton on Our Miss Brooks? Richard Crenna. There you go. I knew you could do it. <laughs> You know, he, when you think of all the sophisticated things he did over the years, I mean, he did that, and later he did... Uh, it was Luke on The Real McCoys on TV. Uh-huh. And he played a legislature in a short live but memorable series called Slattery's People. And then he was in a movie called uh, The Sand Pebbles. He and I think he, he was doing some TV even in the 90s. I forgot the series he was in, but he was doing some TV even in the 90s. Uh-huh. Good actor. He was a remarkably versatile actor. You're right. And, uh, well, and, and of course, you think of... Uh, you know, that, that little voice he used, you know, as Walter. I mean, Walter. I know that, I'm sure there were times that Walter did get on Miss Brooks's nerves sometimes. Uh, but but not not as much as Mr. Conklin's nerves, though. All right, okay. What what was the name of his character on a date with Judy? Oogie one, Pringle? Yeah, one of the great names of radio, huh? It was. Oogie Pringle. Where did the name Oogie? <laughs> I mean, who? You don't have any idea. Yeah, I know. Who, as a writer, would have sat down and said, let's name him Oogie? <laughs> I have no idea. But, uh, now, the, the, of the teenage girl shows, did you, of course, you had, you had Corliss Archer, you had A Date with Judy, you had Junior Miss, uh, and, of course, the boys, you had Archie and Henry, or the Aldridge family. Mm -hmm. Of the girl ones, which one was your favorite? You're asking me? Yeah. None of them. None of them? None of them. Okay. <laughs> Not much help there, am I? <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, you, I think a lot of us 
candid look at these programs, you know, very nice to... Well, then I have to admire you for it. You look at these shows realistically. Uh, some of us, and I guess as, a, as collectors and stuff that have been doing it for years, we tend to think of the golden age as all being golden. And when you really look at it, there were some bad shows in the golden age. I mean, um, not everything, I guess, just like TV, not everything was golden. I mean, it's sure bad. I, I, I would take 10 radio shows from the golden age over... 10 of over any of the last 15 years of television programs. Pretty much. There, there were some good television programs, but boy, they were few and far between. But you know, there, there were some good radio shows that I don't enjoy. And that's, I should have clarified this, with the a date with Judy and, um, help me here, <laughs> a date with Judy and... Corliss Archer. Corliss Archer, thank you. I don't enjoy those shows. It doesn't mean they aren't good, and it doesn't mean they weren't entertaining, especially at the time. I just don't like them. Right. There aren't that many junior misses, I don't think. I don't think I've ever heard one. I know it wasn't uh, Barbara Whiting was in it, wasn't she, Walden? Yeah, we have four 15-minute episodes when it was a daily show, 54. And that's about it. Well, well, I think those shows were geared for a certain audience of the time. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, dated by our standards. You know, um, they felt a need and niche for the time. Like the old, some people, you know, still like the Aldridge family. It holds up pretty good, I suppose. Well, I think in a lot of, I think that's one of the underrated shows that's loved by very many people. I think it's one of those shows that people, I think there's actually a strong fan support for the Aldridge family. Well, you know, it was. A, and I don't uh, know, and and I I don't know why, but I I love it, but I don't know why other people do. There's something uh, very doing about the show. There is. Well, you like the family, you like the father, you like you know, uh, Henry, you know Henry. Uh, even though he may, he may have made mistakes and done things wrong, his his intentions were always good. There were always good intentions. He didn't want to hurt people's feelings. Homer was a pain. And he was the sweetest pain you could ever come across. And the trouble that the kids got into, they, they were always in trouble. There was always a problem. Well, let's say, could you say the same thing about Archie? Well, with, with um, Homer and um, Henry, the two of them always got into trouble, and somehow they made it sound realistic that they got into I mean they, they were raising rabbits and the rabbits were all over the place yes made it seem you feel like, the same do you feel the same way about Archie and Jughead no yeah no you I cannot feel this I mean they, they were they were a poor imitation and well our buddy house don't it was written for a, dem, a different demographic really yeah, Archie Andrews was written for kids under 10. Oh, like I said, yeah, because it was Saturday morning. Right, right. and he said, and he, he always bothered him, people compared to Aldrich, because he said, I was written for a different, it was a family show. The, the main thing I did like, the one thing I did like about Archie was the father, when, when everyone would start their yelling and he'd go, quiet, 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 I always did enjoy that. That always made me laugh. But I have, but the stories basically weren't, you know, weren't great. I, I, of course, we all have the Christmas shopping show, which is a pretty famous one, and there's a couple of others, I guess, that are pretty memorable. But they were, um, the, the, you know, again, like you say, it was, you, you know the kids must have enjoyed it, especially during the Swift days, because you could always hear those children just cheering as the show went off the air. You know they were having a good time. Yeah, sure they were. 
sure they were. So. Anyway, I want to wish both of you a nice evening. Thank you so much, and thanks for calling. And I mailed an envelope to you yesterday, and I forget what was in it, but there's one coming. I think it was information, please, I think. Sure, probably. Okay, then. Okay. Keep up the good work, and we'll talk to you maybe next week. Okay, thanks a bunch. Well, then, bye, bye, Patricia. Well, I don't know. Archie Andrew is interesting. We haven't continued, but mainly they never had a sponsor. They did? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. They only had short premium on for a couple of years. That's about huh? it. So the network kept it. Yeah. Hello there, you're on the air. Hey, I'm very nervous about that. You are? What are you nervous about, Mr. Hey, on the air. <laughs> I have a question for you. I'm so happy you called. Well, thank you. Wait a minute. Did you, have, have, did you ever get butterflies being on the air? No, what was the worst case of butterfly? Oh, gosh. Um, first newscast on AFN. I bet, yeah. And and they said, they said, um, now you new guys, when we break you in, when we break in a new guy, we you're only heard in France. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you don't know how, how comforting that is. I just came from Chattanooga. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. And I was I was gripping the copy so tightly that. It was it was shaking, and uh, oh. then you know after several weeks you you become familiar with the surroundings, and you you you're only talking to one person. You mm -hmm. pretend, and it was routine again. But th there were some times that things would come up during the the two years I was there that that would make you a, a little nervous. But you, if it didn't show, you did a better job because you you had the adrenaline flowing, and yeah, yeah, it worked out. This is a great show tonight. I I had. Uh, was listening to the Green Valley Line. Yeah. And I kept hearing a, an actor that I knew the voice. I heard him before. Oh. I listened again, and it was Bill Reed, the lead. And I remembered him from The Lone Ranger and, and uh, possibly other shows on WXYZ. Well, I think Jim, Jim comes along and verifies the fact that it was yeah. for their first efforts. You are absolutely right. Yeah. And I do remember that I saw his name attached to some of the information pieces that I pulled together. So uh, I, all right, before I make a comment, and everybody knows what my comment is, what did you think of the performances? Dreadful. <laughs> Thank you. In a word. I mean, that, that'll work. That'll work. Before, before we get away from it completely, Reed is a common name used all through the, the WXYZ efforts. Uh, it was huh? Brent Reed. Dan Reed, and never been uh, authenticated, but the ranger's name was John Reed. It's been said, but no one seems to have ever heard that in, a, in, an, in an episode. No, I've never heard it either, and I've not ever come across anyone who has heard it. It was at a couple of places I have read that it was supposedly a conversation in a bar or um, a restaurant that it came out somewhere. And it was off the set. It wasn't part of a radio show that his name was John. But I don't ever recall having heard it on a show. And I haven't come across anything written by anybody that says it was on a show. I asked Walden? Chris Hoy, and he, he couldn't verify it. <laughs> but he did over 900 shows. You wouldn't expect him to remember. Yeah, well, I know our buddy Martin Graham is slowly documenting the history of the Old Ranger. So if anybody's going to be able to figure this out, it will be him. Oh, hey, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, are you ready for my question, sir? For questions? Yeah, I have a question for you. 
They were awfully hard tonight. I'm not sure that I... No, 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 no. I mean, this is really for you. For you, I have a question. Like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, really, really. Okay. I know that your expertise in the motion picture area is more with dusty cowboys. But my question is, why, even in the old-time shows even or movies, they wet down the streets? Everything is all shiny and slick. The sun can be out, but the streets are wet. Why did they do that? And they still do. You mean in, in current times as well as the old times? In past, if you look at a 1930s movie or 35, you know, one of the really old ones in the gangster movies, all the streets are wet. They wet well, on the streets. They actually have the, the street wetter, you know, these big pieces of equipment come through, and they wet down the streets just before they take the shots. But I never knew why. It just looks better. Looks if you look, uh, it looks stupid. As, <laughs> as New York, it looks. Stupid. They think it looks better, but the uh, cars that you see in uh, magazines for yeah. uh, you know sports cars and the new uh-huh. uh, Thunderbirds and so forth. If you look, the, the street will be wet under them too. Well, it's it's really interesting if you look really closely, and I'm I'm so sensitive to these things. You know, they they take. They do two takes of every show, and then they, they mix and match the scenes. So you might see somebody with a scowl on his face and his finger in his ear in one shot, and it, it's supposed to be a continuation from a different angle, and he's smiling and walking away from the camera. You know, I mean, it's something completely different. And it happens with the wet streets, too. So if you're looking at one scene from one direction... You'll see a puddle in one area, and they'll show it from a different angle, but it's at a different time. We're supposed to believe it was the same time, and the street is dried up in that spot. So it's just fraught with problems when they do that, and it looks dumb. So I'll, uh, I'll watch more closely in the future. I, I know what you're talking about, about the uh, cuts from the, 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 the... Do you know why they don't put ice and drinks on... No, TV and movies? Well, I would guess because the ice melts and it would be different sizes when you look at the different angles. That's right. That's, that's what I've been told. Well, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. I mean, when, when, you, when they drink out of a cup, it's usually a styrofoam cup so that they, it doesn't make any difference how much or, or if anything at all is in the cup. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, you couldn't see through it. We had, uh, one of my favorites is, is Back to the Future, which was on in the 80s. Uh-huh. It came, came out in the 80s. And uh, Warren and I, my son, were watching it, and they have the scene where he drives a convertible, a Ford convertible, or his, or his nemesis. Nemesis does the, uh, the the fellow that he's chasing or the, he's being chased by. But he drove a 46 Ford with a, a convertible, uh-huh. which, would, which would change to a 47 Ford <laughs> various places. There's only a subtle difference in the, in the year because it's the war years or just after the war, and they were not uh-huh. thinking uh, big changes. But the, I can tell the difference because I had one as, as a kid. And uh, I, I would point it out to Warren, and, and then one scene that would be going as a 47, come back as a 46, and they would wreck the 47, and all through the movie, that, that uh-huh. little bit of business, was, which nobody noticed but me. Well, I notice those kinds of things. I wouldn't notice that because I don't know what a 47 or a 48 car should look like, but clearly 
you knew because you had them, but I noticed those kinds of things, and it, it really is disturbing to see somebody, you know, taking a sip from a cup of coffee, and then the next, it, it, supposedly in the same scene, the coffee is back on the saucer, and I find that really upsetting. Have you ever heard the term hot, hot set in, in motion pictures? Hot what? Hot set, S-E-T. S-E-T, not S-E-X. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's not exactly pristine. That's a whole different show. Hot set. No. What's a hot set? That means that they have stopped filming and the uh, chairs and everything, the, what's on the tables and should not be moved. Ah, okay. So it's still, it, it's temporarily on hold. Don't move it. Right. Ah, okay. Hot set. Okay. There'll be a test on this next week. It'll have a sign that says that. Uh, let's see, I was looking for something I made a note of. Oh, did you you, you know the Perez Prado song called Patricia? Patricia, uh-huh. My uh, dad had a record uh, of that, and he used to play it all the time. Actually, I, I didn't, no one mentioned it. I thought I would. Yeah. Uh, Mid-50s, very big hit. Somewhere he got a record of it, and he used to play it for me. I think um, Bill Hay became... A CBS announcer, and he—I know he introduced Walter Cronkite on the uh, evening news. Oh, okay. That brings us up. To my best rem uh, memory is—I forgot we were talking late, about Bill. There late, is late uh, a note in the Radio Stars book. Yeah. There is a note about him. Okay. A station manager of WGN, Hay met Amos and Andy, then known as Sam and Henry, and announced their first program. In 1928, he moved with the duo to WMAQ and continued as an integral part of their broadcast until the 1940s. Hay was sales manager and treasurer of a piano company in Hastings, Nebraska, mm. when KFKX came into being in 1922. The company gave the station a piano, and Hay went along announcing, arranging programs, singing, and directing. Scottish-born Hay came to America in 1909, studied the violin, took vocal lessons, and sang in churches before radio. His brogue-style station breaks readily identified the Hastings transmitter among early listeners. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. Very interesting. You're supposed yeah. to chime in and say, oh, yeah, that was really interesting. Good stuff, <laughs> Patricia. You know more about history than I do. Oh, see, you know, it really helps when you've got a book. <laughs> this is good stuff. So what is new in your life, sir? Let's see. Uh, well, nothing exciting in my life. Uh, they were talking about the last Johnny Dollar in suspense. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I had the dubious honor of being the announcer on duty at the CBS station in Chattanooga when that went off. Oh, no kidding. And uh, the following week, we got one phone call. See, we didn't say anything about it going off. They didn't say anything about it going off. And the one person was disappointed to the point that they called us what one was wrong. One person noticed. So sad because oh. this is a 5,000-watt radio station. and not huge, but it did go all uh, could be heard down in Georgia uh, at that time of the evening. And, uh-huh. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, I guess it took... To, to the south, so it really traveled. But um, what I thought, time did... maybe they know what they're doing. They got one call. 
Well, what time of the day was Johnny Dollar on, knowing when you did the shift? I guess it was Sunday, what, yes. 4 or 5 o'clock? When, when would it have been? Between 6 and 7, I think uh, that would be right. We had gun smoke on, too, for a while while I was there, because I remember the the gunfight and the, the shots being fired in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I would always try to synchronize, shoot, pretending it was a finger gun shooting the engineer, you know. <laughs> Trying to draw and shoot at the uh -huh. sound effect came up, and uh, that that showed how bored we were. <laughs> so I wonder, I wonder how many people were watching stuff on TV then on Sunday. I don't know what we've been on at that time. Yeah, I know, I, I, I know, don't either. Um, I know Disney had a, you know the wonderful world of Disney, but I think that was seven o'clock Sunday. But uh, you know, people just probably were watching TV, I guess. Well, that was that was the last of the big ones. Yeah. And, the, uh, it was kind of sad, but I don't know. I, I guess for your information, uh, I went to Arbitron's website this week, and they are announcing that they're starting to track internet radio station for commercial possibilities. Um, they get, you know, I guess the broadcasting changing so dramatically that they're basically going to start, uh, you know, keeping books for radio stations only on the internet and people's iPhones. Okay, the whole broadcasting industry is changing so fast for them. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. For sure. I'm, I just feel very fortunate to have been on the the last edge of it, as far as the golden days are concerned. Yeah. And I was, uh, and they, also the, uh, I was uh, in on the beginning of rock and roll, playing, you know, when Elvis came in, and mm -hmm. our parents were listening to Tony Bennett, and... Lex Baxter and Doris Day, and we're listening to Fast Domino and the Platters and oh, Richard. Now, there's a good question. Rock and roll and radio, was it Elvis that really drove the numbers, or was there an artist before Elvis that sort of built it up to a point when Elvis came on the scene, they just took off? Was there, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say, was there really rock and roll radio? No, Some, there was, uh, that era, the, about the... 1950 through about 56 was that still that uh, Tony Bennett kind of yeah the adult standard so you know, exactly yeah. yeah and the the other started I don't know if it's coincidence or it caused it it's one of those kind of things that happened at the same time uh, and it, it certainly had a great influence but all of these other people were coming along listening to uh, race stations that referred to in those days black musicians and, and black singers and the uh, we had Pat Boone covering Little Richard songs mm -hmm. Pat Boone doing Tutti Frutti for example mm -hmm. and it uh, it got crazy there for a while the uh, musicians were very uh, listening to there was a gospel influence too in Memphis and, and uh, Nashville and that area that and the rockabilly they called it and it was all kind of mixed together. And it, it just all of a sudden, the, we kids had our own music and the adults had theirs. And neither of the twine shall meet. It was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big line between it. But the adults began to come over to also listen to some of the rock. And, were there uh, stations then playing both formats at the same time? Or, I mean, would there be something like... The adult standard play during the morning, and the kids got their rock and roll at night. I mean, how would station develop the format? Yeah, it. Uh, 
we called it block programming. Mm-hmm. There would be a block of rock and roll in the in the late evening and, and or early evening, and in the mornings it would be uh, standards and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Then there would be maybe the Breakfast Club, and then a network program, and then uh, a local record show, and all different. But then as times went on, and uh, what, what was the fellow's name in uh, Dallas? Uh, Walden oh, McGregor. Oh, oh, uh, Gordon McClendon. McClendon, yeah. yeah. He was the guy that came up with the format mm-hmm. that uh, really took the nation by storm, and that was top 40 all the time and 24 hours and moved the news till five minutes to the hour and did revolutionary things that uh, stations were copying all over the country. And yeah. I had to, I got to work in one of those stations at, at, at early... Uh, Early, uh, well, about midway in the in the fifties, in uh, early sixties, and it was uh, radically different as radio was heard in the in the and of course it defeated it, it competed with TV well too mm-hmm. because the the kids knew when they were going to get their music, which was all the time. So how did the radio station? True to this jockey, did they say? Did they wind them to halfway know the music, or did they just pick them by the voice and then you guys sink and swim to figure out if you can, you know, play the music? Yeah, they pick the DJs. Mm-hmm. A lot of it. Um, some of the guys were able to make the transition, you know, from to go from uh, the good music, as it was called in those days, or standards, as you said, mm-hmm. to the top forty. You know, the thing I was listening to the other day, and it dawned on me that. In, in retrospect, you think about that music in those days being really hard rock, and, and it was nowhere near hard rock. It was violins and trumpets. <laughs> and you'd listen to a, a, one of the... Uh, Johnny Burnett had a song, You're 16, You're Beautiful, and You're Mine, I think. Uh-huh. You're, you're 16 was the title. And it's filled with violins, the whole thing. <laughs> you were nuts. You think of the rock and roll song having violins in it. Buddy Holly used violins a lot in, in the music he did. So it, it was uh, just the lyrics and the beat and the speed of the, the, the uh, tempo yeah. that was different there in the beginning. But <laughs> it wasn't all that radical. Elvis was. You know, you don't, some of his slower stuff later would have complete orchestras in it and things like that. But... Um, well, I know the guy who discovered, and I'm drawing a blanket, his name, the one that actually discovered Elvis in 54. Um, Bob Parker. No, before him. The one that actually had uh, Sun... Sun Records. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm drawing a blank of his name. I am too. But the story is... Sing like a black gentleman. Uh-huh. That was going to be the hit combination. And then when Elvis went in and recorded his record for his mom, then that's when he knew he he had it. He had the right guy that would uh, that the white people would accept that would have that sound that he wanted that the black artist had. Sam Phillips. Yeah, Sam Phillips. Yeah, and, he had the record uh, company there and. Memphis, and it was uh, the timing was everything because yeah. 
he, he did have, and he had a lot of people record for him or, or have recorded at his studios uh, that went on to be huge hits. Johnny Cash, right? Yeah, Johnny yeah. Cash. And, uh, I'm, now, I'm drawing blanks on names, but uh, oh, uh, Perkins, Carl Perkins, yeah. wrote Blue, Blue Suede Shoes. Blue Suede Shoes. Uh, had good career of his own. Right. And uh, then before that, I'm sure there were some of the, the black artists recorded there, too. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that was what they were after was that the appeal of that beat and that uh, that you would hear in the, in the gospel music and the rockabilly, some of the hillbilly music that, that would make its way over to the top 40. Uh, it was an exciting time. Yeah, I guess if I listen to some of the Elvis from the Louisiana Hayride, he's got that uh, hillbilly sound. Yeah. You know, he can playing to that country audience, and then he, you know, then he got the, uh, you know, he could do the standard like the Love Me Tender, and then then the rock. I mean, he he had it all covered. There was no doubt about that. Yeah, it was uh, very well timed. Mm-hmm. Very well. You know, um, switching pitch here. I also had a note on Night Watch. I that, that seems to come over to me as being a little bit faked. Did you? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know uh, why, but everything seems to have the same sound to it and, and the same level, which would have been very hard to do even today in recording. If you're out in a field or in a car or you have a... Is this the, the show that had them out in a car and, yes, we're approaching... The, yes, uh-huh, that's like, the show. That, that was all studio. Uh, I mean, there, there's just no way that... It actually was done that way. If they were out in a car? Yes. Well, then it couldn't have been. Well, oh, they were. it was. I mean, I'm, I'm not questioning you. I'm just saying that's, I just can't believe it. I know, but but uh, people who've been in the industry that saw it work, they said it did. So they must have done a great job to take the tapes and re-level the darn thing. Yeah. But it was <laughs> They the went through the thing. gears in the car when they would drive. They were always exactly the same. <clears throat> no one shifts exactly the same way. Yeah. And the, the characters who supposedly were the victims of these crimes or had made the calls were so artificial. They all sounded the same. Well, maybe they, they, they were told ahead of time they were going to be recorded. Had to have been something. Yeah, because, you know, something. You know I think in those days you had to get permission. I know for the I know for the candy camera, even they surprised they ha- I think they had to get permission before they broadcast it. Yeah, but they they didn't know it before they. they no, they or, did not know before, but I bet anything doing with police coverage. You know, so like the Miranda case, everything you 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 know your rights are being read to you. They probably can re- record this. Who knows? I don't know what the procedures was. Yep. Well, there's it, it, something about it that doesn't ring completely true. It may mm-hmm. have been a lot of it was um, was true, but the, the victims and the perpetrators and so forth all sounded the same. It sounded like they got them out of central casting. Well, maybe they watched Dragnet the night before. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they got caught, they were already monitoring Jack Webb and the gang. I don't know. You guys are a piece of work. So our envelope is safe? Oh, yeah, and it's sitting here awaiting something to send to you. Uh, I promised a 
special on Roy Rogers, and I misplaced it. My has uh, my uh, filing system is not the greatest in the world. Well, but I I can wait. It might give the envelope time to heal. <laughs> it's beginning to look sad. Yeah, it's it's really getting it's 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 getting worn out. I think we need to write a letter to this. Uh, who made it? Scotch or somebody made the envelope. We should send them a note and talk and tell them about how and and tell them how how wonderful they are. <laughs> They don't tear up over. Hey, we could be. They could be the sponsor of the Saturday night show. We could. We could test prove how long the envelope held together. It's amazing, uh, and you know those things are not expensive. I pay about six dollars for twenty-five of them uh-huh. at Sam's Club. I know they're really expensive if you buy them one at a time in in like a, a drugstore or or at FedEx. They're costing like a dollar a piece, but I buy them by the box, twenty-five in a box, and it's. Maybe five ninety-five, five fifty, something like that. And to think that something that inexpensive is so durable is remarkable. That's right, and they didn't make them for repeated use. <laughs> they, they were. They didn't, and this is now. When you send it back, it will be twenty-four. I guess so. I think the twenty-fourth trip this poor little thing is making. <laughs> and the stamps are getting. It should have <laughs> the stamps are still looking really good. Yeah, they are. It, but really, it, it should be getting big muscles from, <laughs> from walking so far. If we keep going, the collectors will want the stamps we've got on there. That, that, that's right. That's right. The 17 cent stamps, when they're gone, they're not making anymore. But that's, that's right. And those. Those are the, what are those forever stamps? Is that what you're talking about? No, the blue ones with the, well, I think it's a horned ram that's on them. And it's a, it's a blue and uh, blue stamp. It, it's The image is blue and white. Yeah. And that's a 17 cent stamp. And because now the, sep, the second ounce on up is 20 cents, not 17 cents, they're not making the 17 cent stamp anymore. So that really will be a collector's item. <laughs> Somebody's going to notice that. You know, that's, I bought some. I asked at the post office because occasionally one of our callers will make a comment about not knowing that the post office still made such remarkably good artwork on their stamps. And they really do have an extreme variety. And I bought some 17 cent stamps so I could still put some blue stuff on there with three cent stamps to go along with it. But now as I'm talking to you, I realize that these things aren't going to be printed any longer. I should put these things aside, <laughs> not use them. Hmm. Well, when you look at the envelope, look at the blue stamps, and those are the, the 17s. Okay. That are all gone, no more. Well, uh, uh, that's all I've got, too. <laughs> well, I, well, in that case, I'm going to ask you a question. and, and they, they were hard questions tonight? Well, I... I'll try. Thought they were hard questions. Um, did Did anybody answer who Bob and Betty Regent are? Walden. Nope. All right. Who were Bob and Betty Regent? Um. I have no idea. Doesn't ring a bell at all. No one. I agree. I don't know who they are either. Oh, Bob and Betty Regent. Yes, you do, Walden. Oh, when I tell you off the air, you will say, "Oh, of course I knew that." Um. Um, which cartoonist drew Lil Abner? 
What, I, I, all I heard was Little Abner. What was the first part? I, I, which cartoonist? What was the name of the cartoonist who drew Little Abner? Al Cap. Yeah. All right. No. You've done good. Good job. See? Thanks, me. One of those cells will wake up in my brain. And... <laughs> we're, we're still kind of lost on the horses, though. We've still got horses that nobody knew. Yeah, that's right. I, um, we got John Wayne, didn't we? John, oh gosh, yes. John Wayne wrote everything. <laughs> he wrote everything, but we we don't have. Uh, I well, can't here's, a, here's a good question: Who had the most beautiful horse in the movie? Roy Rogers. Roy had the be most beautiful horse. I agree. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. He really was a beautiful horse. Oh. Well, I asked you it, last week. I can't recall. If I think I gave you the name of the rider, and you were going to name the horse, or did I give you the name of the horse? I, I, the rider, I think, is what I preferred. Okay. Um, I'm, going, I'm going to ask you the name of, of who rode a horse, and the horse's name is Target. Target? Uh-huh. Um, Annie Oakley. Yes. There you go. How did you know that? I frankly guess <laughs> that disassociated target with Annie Oakley shooting. Well, it sounds reasonable because yeah. he was a target shooter. Uh -huh. well, yeah, that's good. You've done good. Well, thank you. So you got two, so now I have to squirrel around and find two goodies for you. No, don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, I've got stuff here. Oh, if I found something on the Internet that you might be interested in if you'd like to watch people. Have you ever heard of timesquare.com? No. It's uh, cameras are around Times Square in New York, and they're 24 hours a day just watching people go by. Oh, my gosh. You, you don't want to be doing anything naughty. Well, I've seen that one lady flashed the camera one night. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's all live, and I saw, uh, and, and you see some people that know that the camera's there. And they'll bring a cell phone, and they'll talk to the person at home, and they'll wave, or, or they could be anywhere in the world, and they'll wave. And, sure. Uh, about, that happens about every 10 minutes. Somebody will talk oh, to that. And the, and the poor fool who doesn't know he's on camera, and he's with his girlfriend and not his wife. <laughs> that's, that's bad, yeah. Because <laughs> I saw two, two um, a couple meet, like they planned to meet there, and they hadn't seen each other in a long time, and they were in a big embrace, and all these people just walking by them, and they standing in the middle of the sidewalk. And then uh, I, you watch it at different times, like now, it'd be very quiet. You see the street cleaner come along and pick up all the paper. And Aww. Looking good for the next day. Oh, so you get a taste of New York City. Yeah. How sweet. The camera up in the, way up high, I don't know which building, but it shines down. It, it, it shows Broadway. Huh? Uh, that, that you know, that you see in the New Year's Eve. Oh, so it might, yes. be, Times, might be the Times building then. Uh, could be. I'm not that familiar with the placement of them. Times Building is at the corner of Times Square. Which one had the monkey on it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it, either the Empire State Building or the Chrysler Building. Oh, oh, the, oh, the monkey, the gorilla. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was the Empire King State. Kong. King Kong. Yeah. Yeah, the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> 
you got me. I am such a literal person. You know, I, I, have a, a, I can't tell you where any of these came from, but I got three examples of what somebody wanted to put on his website. And he said, do you like any of these? And he's got really kind of an offbeat sense of humor. And I just lost it. I thought, you know, these are really fun. Meaning I thought, that, and I thought, wait a minute, you know, I better ask. So I sent back and said, do you have any others? And I am so glad I did because he was serious about the ones that he had sent. They were just so far off the wall. I thought he was joking with me. So I'm really glad that I took the high road and <laughs> sent back and say, oh, man, you really are funny today. Because <laughs> he was really serious with it. Do you have a cell phone? I do. It's funny you should mention that. It just went, it died on me. Oh, of course you have a cell phone. We've talked on your cell phone. Uh-huh. Did you know that 13% of cell phone owners have owned up to pretending they are talking with someone just to avoid another person? Have you ever done that? No, I haven't, but I, I, can, I can believe it. Uh, um, what was a, a similar thing like that would be... Uh, you didn't see the person or you were talking to another person for the purpose of avoiding the, the, the person you don't want to see. But yeah, something. I, I, I wouldn't have figured it would have been that big a number for cell phones. Yeah, 13%. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Really. That's as good as the old um, non-management technique to get off the phone with somebody is to just hit the, hit the plunger or, or hit the off button in the middle of a sentence. <laughs> right. I, yeah, and they think you're, you're cut off. That really gives you credibility if you're in the middle of a word and it goes away. That's exactly right. You can't, yeah. can't do this at, at, during a lull. It has to be in the middle of a sentence or a word. You're absolutely right. Do you know uh, the difference between apes and monkeys? How do you tell? The difference between? Apes and monkeys. Apes? Chimpanzee is an ape, for example, in the ape family. Please say that again. The chimpanzee is from the ape family, and a, uh, I'm trying to think of another. Uh, Isn't a gorilla from the monkey? I don't know. No, a gorilla would be an ape. A gorilla's uh, an ape. Champion's an ape. Uh, what they call uh, a orangutan? Is that an ape? That's an ape. Yes, uh-huh. Um, uh, um, cheetah. Cheetah was a chimpanzee. Okay. That, that's, a, that's an ape. Uh, and the difference between an ape and a what? A monkey. A monkey. Okay. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just not having the clarity on my phone tonight. I'm sorry. The difference between an ape and a monkey. There is no difference. A they, monkey, they, well. Well, they spelled her name differently. A monkey. A, a, a baboon is a, mon- is, a, is a monkey. A monkey is an ape, but not all apes are monkeys. <laughs> monkeys have tails. Monkey have tails. Oh, monkeys baboons. have tails. Yeah. Or is the British say baboons? Well, lemurs have tails. Are they are they apes? No, they they have to be a monkey. Lemurs are not are not apes. <laughs> no, I don't. Think. Uh, don't fine tune this too much because I'm it's making me all wrong. Somebody's gonna call and say that there are apes with tails, but I've never known one personally. I haven't known a lot of apes, but prom date was qualified, but other than that. We know a lot of two-legged apes, but they don't have tails either. (laughs) 
white hat, white hat, let's see, top hat, white, white gloves and tails. Yeah. Yeah. Very formal. That is true. I wonder when people really stop wearing tails. When do they go, go out of fashion? Uh, I don't know. That's a... In weddings and things, people still wear them, I think. They still wear them. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is yeah. ultra formal. That that really is formal. Yeah. A little bit out of my league. No, I, wonder, uh, yeah. I don't think you wear tails during the day. It's only... Yeah, I wonder how many people really own their tails. I think they just go rent them. I need to know what the monkeys do. I think they when they need they need it they go rent it. Oh well, yeah. You wouldn't have an occasion to wear them to the grocery store. <laughs> no, no, you, and you wouldn't wear them to a baseball game. Do you know how you explain to children why dogs smell smells tails? Dogs smell tails. Do you know what? Uh, I, I'm not. Sure. That is? They, they said that there was a meeting of all dogs, and in, the, in this particular time in history. When dogs went inside, they took, would remove their tails and leave them outside. And, and so they were in the meeting, and this fire broke out, and they all ran out and grabbed the first tail they could find. And from that point on, they've been looking for their own tail. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that cute? Did you tell that story to your kids? Not yet. <laughs> Gee, your poor kids. Not yet. Okay. My boy was about 50, and I went to you're a piece of work. Nolan Kenner, you are a piece of work. Oh, I had a, a, a screensaver that's a big roll of hay. <laughs> and I don't know how to get it off there to send to you. <laughs> but I, well, Patricia still had the box. He can mail you the box and you can put it in that box. I can't get it off the screen. I just have to photograph it because it's, uh, it's commercial. It comes, came, the software came with the, the uh, computer I bought. Oh, that's funny. No, I, I, I don't... It has a clock that you can put anywhere, so I put that right in the middle of the bale. Yeah. And I was going to put a note on it that this is the alarm clock. That... <laughs> <laughs> we need to remind people, or not remind them, but let people in on this who might not have heard it the first time. Nolan used to tell his children in order to get them up and moving in the morning, if they got up early enough, they would see the cows rolling up their sleeping bags and the rolls of hay in the fields were the sleeping bags and you would tell those poor kids I'm sorry we didn't get up early enough look the cows have already rolled them up this would be on vacation we'd be out of town yeah uh, get on the road early tomorrow and we'll beat the cows up <laughs> never got, got up early enough I don't understand and I don't understand why my children are twisted <laughs> Why, whenever you tell them something, they say, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dad said. <laughs> Dad said it. Dad said it. So, so what are you doing up at this hour? You're three hours too early. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Uh, just, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have no excuse, teacher. <laughs> You don't need one. Well, I'm really happy that you agreed that the acting was dreadful on the uh, on the Green Valley line. Yeah, and I'm glad Jim said it was an early effort. 
of that group because they sure did a good job later. Oh, boy, I don't know. It, it was really bad. So, as I said, the story itself, the storyline itself wasn't all that bad, although the acting was so bad, anything would have looked good. They saved a lot of money on sound effects, too. Oh, man, you know, it just... it. Bridge music and... Huh? And bridge music. I have somewhere um, Fred Foy doing a, a description. I want to see how, how does he do it. He'll name the character, and then you'll hear a bit of the voice, and he'll give the name of the actor. Uh-huh. And uh, it's uh, it's kind of interesting, because if you've listened to a lot of those shows, these these voices will be familiar to you. Yes. And uh, I'll have to find that some, when, we'll, when you're talking about the Rangers some night, we'll play that. That sounds good. That's how I picked out that one voice, the guy that played Bill Reed. Uh-huh. I've heard numerous parts he's played on both the, the Hornet and the Lone Ranger. Was, was he you as, might pick him out, too, if you... Was he as bad in any of his subsequent shows as he was in that one? Uh, the Green Valley line, you mean? Yeah. Was he in subsequent chapters of it? No, subsequent shows. Uh, and subsequent... Something that came after the Green Valley line. Oh yeah, yeah, the, uh, the Lone Ranger. That's where I recognize his voice, and he's uh, he's apparently the lead in this Green Valley thing, is he not? Yes, he is. Bill Reed. Yeah. Uh, oh my. <laughs> there has to be some reason why they picked the name Reed for all the way through. I don't know. I, it's it's just it's like why did they pick the name Moran for all of the bad guys and thugs? Well, I may have an answer to that. They found out very early that if they picked a name like uh, Bill Smith, that all the Bill Smiths in the country are going to, well, not all of them, but many will react unfavorably to having their name attached to a crook. So they started just calling them uh, by nicknames like Nevada Smith or, or Stone Gap Johnson and things like that. They were pretty well sure that nobody would be named that. And they wouldn't get complaints, but that's the way I understood it. Is that what you asked? I'm, I'm answering that so quickly. I'm not sure that was your question. It seems like there are particular names that are repeated, and they have similar characteristics. Like if if you listen to radio shows periodically, you'll hear the name Moran, and it's almost always associated with a crook. Well, uh, I find the same same thing with Nolan. Yeah. There were a lot of crooks uh, named Nolan. Oh, get out! <laughs> doing it again, but truly, and I. Just to do for that. <laughs> well, I thought I thought they picked the name Moran because it really was a, a gangster's name, you know, Bugsy Moran. So it was all. It already had a personality. Uh huh. And if they used the name Moran in people's minds, it automatically was associated with a gangster. So it was a cool way to get a gangster or a bad guy in somebody's mind. Uh-huh. I don't know. Sounds good to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can see you and Walden just kind of... No, I was, thinking, I was just thinking about that because I was thinking about uh, Game Buster because they used the Bugsy Moran in the three-part series with Al Capone. Uh-huh. And then I got thinking, you know, generally, you know, early um, game busters, they would use, uh, I don't know if they use pseudonyms or not. I mean, you know, different names or 
who knows? I'm not too sure. But I got th- I was just thinking, uh, when you were saying Moran, and I got thinking in my head, I think I've heard that name associated with some other characters, and I was trying yeah. to figure that out. Yeah. There's a name Scar Bascom, I remember from one of the Ranger. Yeah, yeah Scar Bascom, yeah, right. That, you don't picture a choir boy when you're mm-hmm. Scar Bascom. Mm-hmm. Gotta be a bad guy. Oh. Yeah. Gotta be a bad guy. Well, folks, I will let someone else, there's a lot more to say, get off, <laughs> get on here, and I'll get off. Son, thank you for telling me about the wet streets. Okay, I hope that, that's an answer, but I have heard of uh, that being suggested if you were taking a picture of your own car or uh, put it in one of these trade magazines, uh-huh. is to wet the driveway. And uh, I guess you just have to see a before and after picture to appreciate the difference. Uh-huh. I, I did hear... Uh, of uh, one director, and I wish I could remember which one. It was Howard Hawks or one of the biggies, but they they had, at this particular studio, they had the practice of bringing in water tanks to in westerns to calm the dust down a little bit because it would be kicked up and ruin a uh, shot, uh-huh. possibly. And he, he really objected to that. He said, you, we want it like it is. Uh, because it'll photograph that way, and it, it wouldn't be natural if the dust didn't fly, that sort of thing. Um, and there was one other example of that. Uh, oh, I can't think of it. I shouldn't have gotten into that subject because it has limited knowledge on it, but the uh, since, you, since you mentioned it, there, it does come to mind that they also did it to, to control the dust in the westerns. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, uh, what would you think your answer would be to this? You're the director of this huge spectacle, and there's a fort, and they're firing weapons out of the fort, and the cannon fires, and there's a perfect smoke ring comes out of the cannon. <laughs> would, would you keep it, or would you do shoot that over? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I think I would shoot it over. I, I think so too. I have a friend in the uh, motion picture field. He's a top cameraman, and in a lot of the car crashes, they, they're messing with half million dollar cameras. Huh. And he said, sometimes you sweat it out. It's if that camera's going to survive those car crashes and things like that. Oh yeah. Hmm. You know. Yeah. No, I think I would shoot it over again because having something that perfect would be distracting. Well, I think I think you're right. I, I agree with you. I that's uh, I like this. Uh, Big Bang Theory, if you watch that show. No. Apparently not. I, I am really drawn to shows that have geeks in them. I am so, or uh, people like Barney Fife and. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a whole cast of geeks that just have this great thing going. But he, in one uh, of the episodes, he throws a whole handful of letter sized paper in the air and it falls out all around the room and one piece lands on his shoulder and just hangs there. And he, he finished without even pretending it wasn't there and he went through the... And I wondered uh, why they left that end or, because it's, it is distracting. You're watching that paper. Is it going to fall off his shoulder and it's leaning against uh-huh. here? <laughs> they left it in. So would you have done the shot over again? I, I, really, in the case of a situation comedy, I don't think I would. And the, the actor pulled it off so well, he didn't flinch, he didn't, uh, it was just as if it wasn't there. He did a good job. How about the cannon? But on the on the Western, I think it might be distracting. 
it, and it might it might appear to be artificial. They've gotten so good with special effects now you can't tell. Yeah. Whether it was accident or not. Yeah. Okay. Have a good rest of the evening. I'll be listening. Okay. You have a safe weekend. You too. Thank you. Thanks, Bye, Dylan. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good holiday. Bye-bye. You too. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Want to thank all the family. The family kept us busy tonight. Family has kept us busy tonight. Yeah. Nobody gonna call. Nobody's gonna. Nobody call. gonna call. Oh. Okay. Tell us a story, Walden. What story you want me to tell you? Um. Tell me. No, no, no. Just tell us a story. Um. Well. Let's see here. Uh. We're on we're on an anniversary of uh, during World War Two seventy two years ago this weekend, and do you have some clips? To we have some clips to play. Do that. Why don't we do this? This will take us about two minutes. Okay. So why don't we do that, everybody? Let's go back and hear what the sound was. September first, nineteen thirty nine, into September third, uh, nineteen thirty nine, and here we go by Frank Knight. The Republic of Czechoslovakia was dissolved. Italy invaded Albania. The New York World's Fair opened. The name Danzig came into the news. On September 1st, 1939, those assembled arise and stand to greet the arrival of the German Führer. The applause greets the Führer who has just arrived in the Call Opera House to address the Reichstag, which has been called an extraordinary session. We are expecting that Prime Minister Gerling, in a very few moments, will open formally the session in the Reichstag. Danzig was and is a German city. All these regions have only Germany to thank for their cultural development. We interrupt this broadcast of Adolf Hitler's speech just momentarily to report a dispatch from Paris which says that Premier Delage of France has now called the French Council of Ministers for an emergency meeting which is to take place just 10 minutes from now at 5.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Then from London on September 3rd, Neville Chamberlain sorrowfully made this report to the world. I am speaking to you from the cabinet room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note, stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Franklin Delano Roosevelt recognized the peril to America and worked closely with England's new Prime Minister, Winston Churchill. President Roosevelt wrote out a verse to me in his own handwriting uh, from Longfellow. Sail on, O ship of state. 
Sail on, new unions, strong and great. Humanity, with all its fears, with all the hopes of future years, is hanging breathless on thy fate. What is the answer that I shall give in your name to this great man? Give us the tools, and we will finish the job. Great, great, great. Where's the French Sinatra song, everybody? It's quarter to three There's no one in the place Except you and me So set em up, Joe I got a little story You ought to know We're drinking, my friend to the end of a brief episode Make it one for my baby And one more for the road I got the routine Put another nickel in the machine Feeling so bad Can't you make the music Easy and sad I could tell you a lot But you gotta be True to your code Make it one for my baby And one more for the road You'd never know it But buddy, I'm a kind of poet And I got a lot of things I'd like to say And when I'm gloomy Won't you listen to me Till it's talked away Well, that's how it goes And Joe, I know you're getting Anxious to close And thanks for the cheer I hope you didn't mind My bend in your ear But this torch that I found's gotta be drowned Or it soon might explode So make it one for my baby and one more for the road The long That long
gets long. Written by Johnny Mercer. When I was thinking of that song, when Bernard and Patricia were talking at a quarter to three. But at least they were talking happy talk. They weren't drowning their sauce in their beer. Anyway, I'm Wong Hughes over there at Patricia. I'm here. And we're here, everybody. Hope you're waving. Well, I hope everybody's having a good time with us tonight. I hope so. You done good, Patricia. You pepped up really good. I pepped up. Yeah. You could tell I was flagging. Well, you know, once it's showtime, Patricia's good to go. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. I'm going to have to sharpen my ears. I was missing a couple of words with Nolan, and I, um, hot set. <laughs> probably part of the phone, you know. No, no, hot set, and my ears just heard a different word. Well, you know, your ears are delicate. My ears are delicate. They weren't delicate enough. I, I just, um, he was talking about a set, like a movie set, uh-huh. television set, and I... You were thinking of something else. <clears throat> the, the word that normally goes with hot, yeah. I was. You were spelling S-E the other way. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was not a T. Uh-huh. As in Thomas, it was not a T. It was not a T. It was, it was, it was, it it was a xylophone. <laughs> it, was the, it, was, it was the one at the end of the alphabet. Yeah, it was a xylophone. Ah. One of those. Hot xylophone. That's pretty good. Well, a xylophone is spelled with an X, but... I know. why, they managed to do that. I mean, it certainly isn't phonetic. Well, I have some 1934 stuff. Absolutely. What's going on on in 1934? 1934 was when our awful show was. Oh, yeah. Well, that was the the first year a Neil Wolf book came out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, 1934 was the year of the Green Valley Line. Also the first year of Lux Radio Theater in Hollywood. Yeah. The Thin Man came out, they were published that year. Yeah, but 1934 was a very busy year. Ah, tell me. My goodness. Tell me. Well, I've got different costs, the average cost of a new house in 1934. Take a shot. So Patricia Wong can go put a down payment on a house that's um fifteen hundred bucks. In nineteen thirty four, according to this, anyway, it was five thousand nine hundred and seventy dollars. You know what? I don't think we can come up with the money today anyway. <laughs> no, I don't think so. But no, I mean this was in the depression. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. You know? Yeah. I wonder what rent was back in those days. I don't know, but yeah. the average wage was $1,600. Boy, I wish oh. we were making that today. You know, I mean, when you think about it, $1,600, how much is 16 into 59? Uh, let's say four times, four and a half times? Well, yeah. Four times 60, 69 is 6400 Take oh, down 400 Three and a half. Yeah. All right, so three and a half times an annual salary. Well, in some cases now, and at, out here in California, you were making, well, my area, they used to say a uh, family, 100000 you know, buying a $800,000 house. So it would be eight times, I guess. Hmm. 
Well, I guess it was okay then. Yeah, I guess so. You you know, when you're in the middle of the depression and the average, average annual wage of sixteen hundred dollars. That was a lot of money. Well, I think got me. I think and Frank Brzee played this on a show a few years ago, a Jack Benny show. I think in 1934 with Chevrolet, uh-huh. and he had to say like the car to buy a new Chevrolet was 430 some odd dollars. I never thought it be thought that was the number. I never knew. Never realized that. I do have some some buy a car information along here. Um, you asked about a rent. The average average cost to rent a house, not even an apartment, to rent a house. Was twenty dollars. Hey, on the I, I think this sounded like a pretty official site. I think was a, I, I think we could afford that. Yeah, I could hang in there with yeah, twenty dollars. Yeah, I think twenty bucks we could do. Rent is going up forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, a loaf of bread was eight cents. A pound of hamburger was twelve cents. Now that's pretty cool. I was just thinking, um, I think we my, haven't started rationing yet. No, I was thinking my grandmother was married in 32, uh-huh. and she used to say she could shop a whole week worth of grocery on five bucks. I can see that. Yeah. You know, if you see a loaf of bread will last you at least mm-hmm. And a, a pound of hamburger, if you're feeding a family of four, mm-hmm. you'd probably need, oh, you know, you'd need a pound, huh, for a family of four? Oh, a pound for one meal, yeah. Yeah. So twelve cents a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could do that on on five dollars mm-hmm. because you're not going to serve hamburger every night. A Studebaker truck. I didn't even know Studebakers made trucks. Did you know that? Nope. I just thought it was a straight a straight car. I thought so too. Yeah. This says a Studebaker truck was six hundred and twenty-five dollars. Mm. And an Arrow men's shirt. Arrow is a very good brand of shirt. Was two dollars and fifty cents. That sounds like a lot of money for a shirt. Two dollars and fifty cents for a shirt, and your monthly rent was only twenty dollars. That's a lot of money. I'm trying to think. I think back in those days, especially the late thirties, uh, when men clothing, you you know, they used to have like the uh, two two suits and the extra pair of pants special on the store on the second. I think it was thirty-five bucks or something like that. So that means the narrow shirt for $2.50 really was a lot of money. Uh-huh. Okay, let's see. Um, all right, 1934, unemployment decreased to 22%. <laughs> yeah, she think about it. And you know, folks, I know a lot of us are struggling now, but I always look at those numbers in the Great Depression when we had 25%. Unemployment and five percent unemployment. Yeah. You know, even at that, it it's when you look at it from the Pollyanna side, you know, the the bright and shiny side, that meant seventy five percent of the people were working. Mm-hmm. And when we talk about the Great Depression and seventy five percent of the people working, um, you know, it 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 sounds more promising. Than the, than the numbers really were. Well, here's an interesting stat that I don't think most people know. The 1930s, the decade of the 1930s, it's the only decade in our history when you actually made money on bonds because the currency deflated in value over a period of time. When you say the uh, made money, do you mean the government made money? No, the individual, the individual, individual actually could make money holding bonds. 
Are, are you talking about municipal bonds or any kind of bo- bonds? In, any kind of bonds? Huh? Historically, you know how you. Ca- well, historically, you would make less with bonds than you would. Um, you know, if, if um, well, historic- this was five percent, and a bond only paid two percent. Well, historically, you, what you know, what you make a, a year on bonds? Not much. A negative one percent. How do you figure negative one percent? If you look at inflation and taxes, at the two indicated that each way in terms of bond values. Okay, all right. And so the only decade that you actually with those two factors were ahead. With the 1930s, because the value of currency was deflating. Yeah. So. Just, Wait, bad way to make money. Mm-hmm. Just throwing my, t- just throwing in long to economic 101. Not very encouraging. Hmm. Actually, did you see the stats this week? This is the first time we had doubles. Two back-to-back month of double with no job increase since ni- since November of 1945. We didn't get any job growth. No back-to-back, back. yeah. It's, I know it's it's scary. Yeah. We, we had some revised numbers that came out this week, and yeah. they were not encouraging at all. But you know, everybody, we made it through the 30s and the 40s. We'll make it through this. We will. We will. We made it through the the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. We made it through price controls. Mm-hmm. We made it through 14% inflation. We made it through a, a squillion things, and and this country always makes it through. We'll make it through. Always makes it through, yeah. and we're going to hit some bumps, and we've we've already hit some bumps. You bet. We're accustomed to bumps in this country. Okay, the FBI had considerable success in ending the careers of celebrity criminals in 1934. Uh, I see. Connie and Bide, right? Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. (laughs) You're you're helping me with my my words tonight. This is good. We'll have a mutual health society here. Yes, Bonnie and Clyde. Um, Do you know Bonnie's last name? No, but I think I I toured the FBI building in back in Washington, D.C., and they do have a, a gum display of the famous criminals, and I, but no, I don't remember their last names. I well, do they, not. I've, I had no idea what they were. It was uh, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. Clyde Barrow, I remember hearing that name, but Bonnie, yeah. I never would have recognized that that name. So Bonnie and Clyde. What made them so famous? Uh, it was just a romanticized thing. They only heisted one bank. Hmm. And it, it was a, a romanticized crazy chase they they ran across country in a car and they wound up getting stopped and they tried to run the the, um, the barricade and they got shot they just kept shooting at the car and they yeah. were loaded with bullet holes but they were not they were famous only because it was romanticized in the papers mm-hmm. they had a single bank heist it was not like, I mean, John Dillinger, he was another one who went down that year. Pretty Boy Floyd and Babyface Nelson. Yeah. We had such colorful names then. It, it was the era of the gangsters. Well, if you think about it, that was the pop, that was one of the popularity of the G-Men in 1935. They mm-hmm. threw a radio show where he switched it to gangbusters. Mm-hmm. That was based upon that whole premise. 
1934 was sure a mop-up year for them, wasn't it? Yeah, and if you think about it, you know, as I was talking earlier, the famous gangster movies were all in the early 30s. The Edgar C. Robbins, the James Cagney, You Dirty Rat You, you know, all those famous Little Caesars, all those famous Uh movies were all that time period. Played by Clarence Nash. So there's the trivia question. Oh, and we'll get to you in a second, caller. What does Donald Duck and Herman the Duck and George Bernard Gracie Allen have in common? Donald and Herman. Okay. Uh-huh. What What do they have in common? Oh, you're asking me? Well, we'll ask the caller. You know? They're both ducks. Very good. <laughs> Very good. But what what else do they have in common? Uh, they were played by the same actor. Yeah, you got it. Clarence Nash with the voice of both Donald Duck and Herman. I didn't uh, even know Herman had a voice. Isn't that a hoot? <laughs> so I hey, did Hawaii hold on when beat Colorado? We won. We won. We won thirty-seven to seventeen. Wow. First game of the college season for the University of Hawaii, and we won. Yeah, I, when I when I checked the scoreboard a few hours ago, I said, oh, I know Ronald call us after the game. So it was in the third quarter. So congratulations. Oh, yes. And then we play UW next week, Saturday. Good. You, you, just, you beat them up before the bracket plays them. That's good. Yeah, but, but then Washington is a little different team now. They're mm-hmm. little, but they're, they barely won today. And then... Um, I was surprised Notre Dame lost. Yeah, they sure did. Well, did you see they had such a bad lightning storm, they had to shut the whole stadium down. Yeah, they almost canceled the game, meaning they almost were thinking of um, canceling the game, but if they did that, they would have to start all over again. Yeah. And uh, Auburn held on. It was a good day. It was a good day for uh, college football. Let's see. Uh, Oh, uh, Stafford really whipped San Jose. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was... And then the Boise won. Oregon lost, right? Yeah, well, LSU got Oregon. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Oregon. Oregon was number three and LSU was number four. Correct, yeah. LSU, didn't LSU have some players that were... Both of them. Both of them had players that were suspended. 
Yeah. Yeah. So you would have thought that Oregon would have had an easier time. I know. And and the golfers barely lost. <laughs> yeah. Guys, you know. Well, they ain't enough about football. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Patricia? I think you're talking S words. Oh. You fell asleep. <laughs> you're talking S words. Oh, by the way, Patricia, um, yeah, we, we we did download all those Jack Benny shows, and my friend, another friend of mine, uh, downloaded it. She said, um, "Shall I put it on DVD because there's 51 shows?" I said, "No, it all fit." She called me back and said, "You know, you're right. It all fit on one CD." And uh, yeah, so uh, we were all surprised. But they worked. It did work. It did work. It really did. And by the way, I, I was listening um, earlier, and you said that you got your mailing envelopes from Savage Club. And I'm glad you told me that because um, we keep on running out of envelopes. And we buy them like five at a time. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They are so expensive when you buy them individually. Yeah. Do you have a Sam's Club there? Oh yeah, I belong to that. Okay, well they've they've got boxes of Scott envelopes, twenty five a piece, and uh, you know twenty five in the box, yeah, and they're under six dollars. About six dollars is cheaper than what I pay for. Sure. But they're, they're good. But yeah, uh, so we really appreciate those. In fact, after we downloaded them, I went to bed uh, listening to. Jack Benny on my CD player with my headphones stuck in my ear and stuff. And it was really nice, those holiday shows. Really good shows. They, they were good. He did a nice job on his holiday shows. I agree. How did you hear about, how did you know that they had all clumped up holiday shows of Jack Benny? I put them all together from, from my Jack Benny files. You did? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that, that took a lot of work. Yeah, you know, you come across them and you just drag and them and drop them into another place. And anybody else wants it, only nineteen ninety five. $48 for shipping and handling. <laughs> yeah, right. That's so cool. That is so cool. But it, it really, I mean, that, that was a good compilation of of Jack Benny holiday shows. Oh, good. I'm glad you got them. Well, then, was it Kurt who asked for the for the link to the Jack Benny shows? Right. He wanted to know if it was still up there. Yeah, it the... was Kurt. Okay. Yeah. I, I wrote it down, but I didn't have his name next to it. Okay. So, how are you doing, sir? Hey, did, Walden, did you ever try to um, download one of Patricia's links and stuff? Not, not, I have. I don't have the program to unzip files yet. Nor are you going to teach me that. I haven't learned how to unzip a file, so I haven't. I haven't ventured out there in the big, big world yet to get out there. Yeah, well, Gil might learn from Patricia how to unzip those files or something. Well, Patricia being a school teacher, I think that's good. Probably yeah. that's that's what it you was. Know, you know, he, he's a good teacher. <laughs> right, well, Patricia. Yes, good. I'm a very good teacher. Good. So Gail knew how to learn how to unzip the file and put a zipper back up again. <laughs> <laughs> and then when it's cold, when it's hot, she'll unzip it again. 
So did she zip them from the back or the front? Uh, I think she went from the side. Okay. <laughs> the front, she got, it got stuck right at one point. So it, when you go to apple, is it a red delicious or a, uh, a green apple? Uh, they're delicious. They're oh, okay. red. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I like both kinds. Granny Smiths are the nice green ones that I like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ron, oh, I know what. Patricia, you have a whole bunch of information, please. Is that what it was? Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, not, one day when we start going back and forth, make me another batch of information, please. Ah, uh, I would be happy to do that. Yeah. So you should be receiving something by the Pony Express in a couple of weeks again. <clears throat> Ellery Queen and some other things. Oh, yes. Well, your pony is on his way. My pony? <clears throat> Good. Yeah, he should he should arrive Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah, <clears throat> Monday's a holiday, so mm -hmm. we have a whole bunch of mail Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah. Did Gail tell you? Or, or yeah, I, I guess um, I, I sent it to you and Gail that... The guy at my phone company wanted to know if Hawaii and Alaska were... I was going to say, I was, I was just going to this is Ron from uh, the 50th state. From the, from the outback. <laughs> I want everybody to know that we are a state. Isn't that incredible? I just could not believe it. You know, for a while, and this is serious, for a while, you know, some of us got really offended because we have people coming from California or, or some other part of the United States and stuff. Oh well, um, you live in Hawaii. We we live in the states, you know. And we think, well, we're part of the states, you know. And yeah, yeah. Well, Ron, I mean, in 1959, when Hawaii became part of the Union, was there a big celebration? How did it actually? Well, what they, you know, as soon as it was signed in '59, uh, in 1959, we we they let us out of school. Really? Yeah. We, we had the rest of the day to celebrate. So it really was a celebration time. We do us. And then every August we have a holiday. Uh-huh. A state of day. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah, we, we were very, we actually were disappointed because we thought we were going to become a state before Alaska, mm. but then Alaska got signed first. They got signed first. Do you know how that came about? How they chose which one would be uh, inducted I for first? I forgot. I, I, I can't really remember how, why Alaska got chosen before Hawaii. And I, I don't know either. I thought that might be something in your storehouse of knowledge. No, this storehouse is closed. <laughs> Okay, well, I will do my homework, find out about Hawaii and Alaska, okay. Uh, that's where that kind of business is. We're just happy we're a state, and, and we're proud of it, and we're we're glad to be. Um, but, you know, we were always like, we always felt like we were a state, even when we were a territory, because, you know, we, we always participated in whatever the other parts of the United States participated in. You know? mm -hmm. So we didn't feel left out. Well, that's good. And now sure. that you have a program Saturday night, 
and we all can call in. We don't feel left out. So, <laughs> no, you're right, not left out. <laughs> we feel like we're part of the family because because of the internet, we can have these wonderful conversations. So. You know, think also think about Ron. Think of technology. How good the phone line is. Here you are, way over there. I'm here, and she's there. And the phone lines are so good. It's just amazing. Before, in, I think it was the late 50s and the early 60s, we would have calling shows from Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Every 15 minutes, because they had to show that we were on there, there'd be a beep, you know. Beep! beep you yeah. know, or something like that. Every 15 seconds, mm-hmm. so that the caller would know that he or she was either being recorded or on the air. You know, now there's no beep, and we can just keep on talking and stuff. But we've come a long way from beeps to whatever. I think with radio stations, traditional radio stations, they still have to have the beeps. No, but I no, not necessarily because if you listen to a call-in show on your AM radio. Um, any exciting news on the horizon of what's going on with um, old-time radio, Walden? Um, well, I'm I'm busy working on projects. We see, we got the we got the FOTR convention in October. Uh, Martin Graham convention will be here in a couple of weeks, and then here is LA. We're putting together a Spurback lunch on November the fifth. So uh, a lot of the old-time radio performers will be performing that. And what's it, Gaston? Uh, what's his first name? Uh, that is, has an old-time radio site in LA. Your friend. Uh, oh, Joey Hindigas. Yeah, Hindigas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. How's that? How is that going? Very good. And I'll see Jerry Wednesday to pick up. Jerry, that's his name. I'll be picking up. Uh, he. I'm having him dub Janet Waldo's transcription collection, so I gotta go over and pick those up for her, and, uh, we're, I'm um, keeping them busy, transferring Frank Brzee's collection, and we're, he's a, his studio something, he's got six computers, folks, devoted to nothing but transferring recordings, going all the time. It's amazing, yeah. and, uh, before they have tons of tape recorders, mm-hmm. these old radio collectors, they have uh, six tape recorders constantly dubbing shows off on seven-inch reels. Yep. Now, they have computers. Computers. We're taking the reels and putting them on computer drives. Yeah. It's just amazing. And, so. and it's so amazing that um, I can I can dub um, uh, down, I mean, uh, 51 shows on one CD yeah. to a friend of mine, and it takes only about two minutes to do that. So it's unreal. It's a speed and, and what is going on in the age of computers, you know. Um, Patricia told, was talking to my wife right. how to download the thing and by the end of the conversation it was done. It's and amazing. That, believe it or not, that Saturday night after 
Gail talked to Patricia mm-hmm. on the air. She didn't, Gail didn't realize that it was, it was actually dubbing, I mean, burning, the word burning, and, and all of a sudden it showed that it was finished. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I put it on my MP3 player, not the computer, right. but my MP3 player, and I counted the shows, and all 51 fit. <laughs> but there was one film, I think just before 51, there was a film monkey in Molly's show. Oh, Patricia snuck something in, and huh? she snuck it oh, in. I sneaked one in? Uh-huh. Uh-oh. I have to check my file. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I love film monkey in Molly's so. It's okay. Okay. But everything else was all, all Jack Benny. It's unreal. On one CD. Mm-hmm. I know. That shows fit. If, and that would have been how many 1,800-foot recorders, you know, uh, tapes? It, Twelve, so I see 51. You could put six. Well, it, it, four reels, probably, when I got all of it done. That's right. And just think of all the hours of transferring at real time. Right. Yeah. Modern technology, something else. So, Ron, because you were tied up with football tonight, you didn't hear my awful show, did you? What was it? It was a show from the Green Valley line. <laughs> no, I'm glad. <laughs> you know, the acting was so bad, I'll bet you are glad. You know, yeah, yeah. What was it, Blair of the Mounties? Yeah, Blair of the Mounties. Pretty bad also. That was bad also. That was on your, that was on your shows that you couldn't stand or whatever the title was. Yeah, my really awful shows. That's right. Some really awful shows. The only, the show, only show that I disagreed with was Jerry of the Circus, you know, because. Yeah, you know, I I took that off. yeah, I, I took that out of the collection. I agree. That was a pretty good show. That was, yeah. It was a kid's um, show. But everything else, I, I kind of agreed that it was pretty. But you know, with, with Jerry of the Circus, I think part of it was that it just never seemed to end. You know, it just went on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But it really was a good show, and I'm, I was not a good person. I should not have put it in that collection. But anyway, I guess, too, we all have different tastes, you know, and so what you may like, I may not. But at least you're honest, like you said, you don't really like Nightbeat. But I thought some of the Nightbeat shows are pretty good. But then you said that some of your listeners may like it, so having Nightbeat in your collection would be good, which is an honest evaluation, you know. Thank you. I didn't particularly like uh, <clears throat> Dangerous Assignment, but I guess there were some good stories of Steve Mitchell, you know. I, I, uh-huh. Oh, I'm talking about crooks, you know. I, I'm glad my mother didn't name me Jake, you know. <laughs> Jake? Yeah, every time you listen to the Lone Ranger or some of these mm-hmm. programs, yep. whenever you hear the name Jake, you know the guy was a crook. That's right, in the cowboy movie. Yeah, of yeah. course you're right. So what, how, how did you get the name Ron? Well, actually, my mom named me Ronald. I like, you know, mm-hmm. of course, Ronald Coleman, Ronald mm-hmm. Reagan, mm-hmm. 
they're they're good people. Mm -hmm. I don't like the name Ronald Heisman, but my mom is still alive, and so I don't dare change it. Our <laughs> I don't mind being called Ron. I just don't like the name Ronald. It sounds like a real a nerd. If you were going to change your name, what would you change it to? I, I think I would change my name to I like the name I like the name Robert or Bob, yeah. I think it's a common name but it's a it's a nice name, Robert. Better than Ronald. <laughs> it's standard. Um, but, uh, well, I mean, Ronald, you know, if you if we could call you Ronald, then you have to start speaking in a British accent. I don't know if you want to bother cool. with that. Yeah, then I, if, the name sounds like I got to be more hyperbolical. You know? <laughs> and I don't want to be more hyperbolical, you know. <laughs> and even that's not a very good word. <laughs> I don't think that word even exists, but... Well, I like the name. What, Hyperbolical? Oh, oh Ronald. Ronald. I like the name. You can have it. <clears throat> Next time, I'll, if I ever meet you in person, I'll, I'll give you the name. I'll... I can have it. Well, I like Ron better. Yeah, but Ronald is okay. I, I like the name Ron. Ron is good. Ron is, Ron is a very strong name. I like Ron. Ronald just sounds like a nerd. So. <laughs> <clears throat> No, you're not a nerd. Are we, look, are we looking forward to the uh, Pony Express banging on my door? Yeah, Pony Express should be there Tuesday or Wednesday. And then we'll send you another horse on Pony Express in a couple of weeks that you'll probably enjoy. Okay. And then next time you can put some... How many shows of information, please, do you have roughly? I'm, I'm guessing probably 125. How come you got so much? How, I mean... Well, it's interesting. Um, they recorded almost all the shows from 1938 to 45. Mm -hmm. And partly because uh, they... You know, the, the sponsor required it, and also if they need to play it at a different time. Uh, so once the contract, the sponsor contract came up, they stopped recording the series. So we have hardly any in the last several years of the series, which is sad. But there's about 200 out there, or sometimes 160. So it's one of those that we have a lot of shows. My friend and I are really enjoying them. Lemposky thing. Um, whatever became of it, yeah. Became of whatever. Oh, it's a, those are good shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really good shows. <coughs> and <coughs> Patricia got a good collection of those. I really enjoy them, man. Yes. I'm glad. And I noticed Patricia is so much of a... Um, what's the name of the program with John Brown? Oh, the life of Riley and Damon um, no, Runyon. Oh, Damon You're talking about. Ah, yes, Runyon. Yeah. She just loves. She, she, oh, I just love that show. I'm having such a good time with that. Damon Runyon Theater. You hit the jackpot with that one. Very good. Well, anyway, the two of you, <clears throat> we'll keep on letting you know how Hawaii does. <clears throat> we we play next Saturday on the road. And I'm going to go on the road with the team to Las Vegas. Oh, by the way, my latest project, 
we, by we meaning Gal and I put together, <clears throat> this guy is going to make a music box. And we're having a convention in Hawaii with different, different um, top ranking leaders from different countries. And they're going to present a music box with a song called The Queen's Prayer, okay, in a music box. And my friend and I, she wrote the music. Not she didn't write the song, but she, I, I played the music on a <coughs> keyboard, and she put the uh, music into print, and then we sent it, and it's going to be put into the music box uh, of <coughs> the music that we put together called called the Queen's Prayer. Wow! And when these Leaders come from different countries. Officials come from different countries in November. I think there'll be 21 of them. They're going to present them with um, our, our music box with the music, the Queen's Prayer in it. How exciting yeah. is that? Wow. So, and, uh, so when are you going to Las Vegas? Yeah, oh, wait, wait. The music box is interesting. Okay. It has to be, has to be no more than 31 seconds. Hmm. And it has to be at least 30. You can't make it less because if you make it less, then there's a long pause between, you know, the wheel that goes uh -huh. around and around and around mm -hmm. that causes the music to play in this box. So it has to be at least 30 seconds. So you have a one-second window of tolerance. There you go. Otherwise, oh. there'll, be, there'll be too long a, a break between the next melody or whatever and and it has to be you know so many measures and you can only use so many keys it, it's it's not easy to put it together no because they go on a cylinder right mm -hmm. you know and right. stuff. yeah so it's really um, difficult but we put it together so we we we're we got approved so now we're hoping that um, it's going to be done in time for for it to be given to all these heads of government and stuff like that from different countries. So that's exciting. Now, UH plays Las Vegas mm -hmm. on the 17th of September, which is two Saturdays from now. I'm going to be leaving Thursday night mm -hmm. and having a dinner with some of my friends on Friday, going to the game on Saturday, <clears throat> listening to your show after the game <laughs> and flying home to Honolulu on Sunday. Wow! So I may be calling you from Las Vegas on this city. Well, you may call us from the hospital with that kind of a schedule. My gosh! Gosh, you could have a million bucks slot machine or something on. Well, it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, anyway... We'll talk to you next week, and I'll let you know when the I'll email you, Patricia, and let you know when the uh, Pony Express came to my house. Okay. <laughs> He's well fed, so he shouldn't be hungry when he gets there. And again, thank you for the information uh, on envelopes, because, boy, that's that's really good information. And we'll, we'll pick up some from Sam's phone. So we'll talk to you later. Okay, Ron. Thanks for Talks calling. You have a good and be safe over the weekend. Aloha. 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 How about that? Good stuff. Oh, I love the story about the music box. That's interesting. What he how he points out a, a a short time interval, and they got to play a certain 
voices and certain notes. That's very interesting. How to do it. Talk about a challenge. Uh, my goodness. My goodness. Gail had written uh, in an email a little bit about the project, but now I have a better understanding of it. Sheesh. 714-545-2071. Now, we can do a couple of things here. You can hear that um, this is Classical Music Month and Honey Month. <laughs> Want to be my honey? Um, or we can go to Stump Walden question mm -hmm. or Walden's Brain Teaser. Mm -hmm. What would you like? Well, we also have a Fibber McGee and Molly show. And we have a Fibber McGee and Molly show. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave it on your table. You decide. Well, since it's my decision, I'm going to tell you what special days we have in September. Oh, right. It is International Square Dancing Month, National Blueberry Popsicle Month. I never had one of those. I never heard of one. Blueberry mm. Popsicles? Wow. wow. Okay. Well, it is National Courtesy Month. Oh, what that? National Piano Month. Hey, Ron. Now, this that one is for Ron. Now, mm -hmm. this one is for Ralph. It's National Chicken Month. Perfect. How you get a chicken month, I do not know. Honey Month, I like that one. Yep. And we've Honey got, on day. September 3rd, we've got Skyscraper Day. Nice. And on September 3rd, it's also from 1813, September 3rd, 1813, the image of Uncle Sam was first used. 1913? 1813. Oh, okay, that, make, that makes better sense. 19? 18, I think you're right. I didn't. I thought 19 was too, too late. It's too late. No, yeah. it says 1813. Mm. Um, and in 1951, the soap opera Search for Tomorrow premiered. Now, on September 4th, we're, we're into September 4th now, right? Well, you are. And you are. Oh, I am too. Okay. Yeah, you are too. Ron is still waiting. So when he gets to September 4th, it's going to be National Newspaper Carrier Day. Boy, all those newspaper boys well, out there, congratulations. Really a fun story to this because the editor of the New York Sun, which was one of the papers that Franklin P. Adams um worked for, and this was in September of 1833, the editor hired the first paper boy in history, and the only job requirement was that he had to prove that he could throw a newspaper into the bushes, and they're still throwing newspapers <laughs> into the bushes. I thought that was kind of cute. Wait, wait. Did we lose Walden? I, I know, you're off in the distance there. What are you doing yeah, over there? I just, went, I just went over there to see what was in the hallway. Well, you're allowed to do that. Was it anything interesting? Nope, nothing was there. Okay. All right, Monday is National Cheese Pizza Day. Hooray! All right, now, I think that this is pretty cool. On September 5th, we've got Be Late for Something Day. And on September 6th, we've got Fight Procrastination Day. Wasn't that two conflicting issues? That is two conflicting issues, which I think is why they separated them by one day. <laughs> Perfect. I don't know. 1847, Jesse James was born. we got lots of outlaws today. This is good. That's okay. It. All right. Now, this one is going to be, oh, we've got read a book day on the 6th. This is good. 
All right. Carl, I'm sorry, Cal Ripken, not Carl, Cal Ripken Jr. on September 6, 1995, broke Lou Gehrig's baseball Ironman record by playing his 2,131st game. Yes, against the Angels. Isn't that? I knew the. I knew you would knew that. Mm-hmm. I knew you would know that. I listened to the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You? Mm-hmm. No, Joe. Yeah, I listened to the game. Yeah. All right. Well, we've we've got kind of a sit on the fence thing on September seventh. That's Wednesday, right? Yep. September seventh, Wednesday is is honest to goodness, it is neither rain nor snow day. Rain or sunshine. I don't know where they. Where did they come up with these things? Well, they went to Congress on a slow day. They must have. Yeah. But September 9th is a very important day. It is National Teddy Bear Day. Uh, Sweet. Let's see, I have my teddy up here. Yeah. I got one teddy over there. I got another teddy over there and I have other teddies around. See, you're, you're a teddy bear. I am. I know you're a teddy bear. Yeah, I like teddy bears. Teddy bears are Wonderful. They're very cuddly. Very comforting. Teddy yeah. bears are very comforting. And you remember how Teddy Bear got his name? Teddy Bear got his name because Teddy Roosevelt was supposed to have, and and I I never found out if this was urban legend. Oh. He refused to shoot a bear cub. Yeah, he was, they tied up for him to shoot, and he refused to shoot it. So they refused to shoot. The and, and so the, and the press decided to name it Teddy Bear. Teddy Bear. So I was pretty good. I liked the name. Yeah. I like the story. Yeah, I do too. But yeah. I was pretty good. I almost knew it. You did do really good. Yeah. Are you ready for your Stump Walden question? Absolutely. We'll dedicate it to Paul. Paul, here's what you've done to me. <laughs> <laughs> See what you made him done? <laughs> okay. Stump Walden question. Which pair of radio stars landed their first radio contract after performing on a $10 bet? They were immediately featured as the O. Henry twins for a 26-week show. Who were they? Oh, well, that'd be... Originally, a $10 bet was... Uh, there's two $10 bet stories I know of, but after the O. Henry, I would think that Billy, Billy Jones and Ernie Hare. No. But the $10 bet one... Oh, I've got them. The $10 bet one, of course, Jim, Jim Jordan and Marion Jordan, it was a, his brother put up a ten dollar bet that's for them to fun. go on the radio. That's the one. But I never knew they went the old Harry twin. I never knew that. That that's new piece of information to me. They they got signed on a contract for a twenty six week show that was sponsored by the O Henry Candy. I did not know that. I knew it was a ten dollar bet that got him in. So well, I'll I'll read what. What I got out of John Dunning, according uh-huh. to an account reported by John Dunning in On the Air, that's his really great book, and we'll keep you posted on when that book goes on sale. It goes on sale every fall at Oxford University Press, and we'll, we'll keep you posted on that one. So, they were visiting with Jim's brother, Byron, and listening to a singing act on the radio, and we knew about that. Jim said, we can do better than that, and Byron bet them $10.00 that he couldn't. They went to the station where, and this is according to an account that John Dunning reports, and this is a quote, an obliging programmer let them sing, Can't You Hear Me Calling, and Knee Deep in the Daisies. When it was over, they were given their first radio contract. 
a night show once a week for O. Henry Candy, and it was for $10 a week. And they performed as the O. Henry Twins. I never knew it, that was that was their first sponsor. That's, I that's never, a great story. I never heard that yeah, anywhere. That's a great story. So, we got him, Paul. We got All him. Right. Almost. He, he got it second. I think we have to give him 50% credit there. I really think so. What, what do you think, Walden? Oh, I, I'll be happy to, to forfeit this one. No, I think you deserve 50%. Oh, well, I'll be happy he to said there, there were two, and you named both of mm -hmm. them. Okay. How you do, everybody? How you do? Here, you want your baseball question? Sure. Three question. Baseball. Baseball. Okay. All right. Let me see here. Baseball. Oh, I'm an apple pie. Okay. In order. I want them in the correct order. I want you to name the top three major league players, top meaning they played the most games in their careers. Who did it? The, mm. the, who played the most games, the top three? Are you there? Uh-huh. Okay. You're thinking. Uh-huh. Okay. Who? Well, let's start out with the with number one. Who is at the top? Okay. These are guesses on Wallen Park. Pete Rose. Right. Hank Aaron. And probably William Mays. It was actually Pete Rose, Carl Yastrzemski. Oh, really? And Carl and Cal Ripken. No kidding. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. Pete Rose had three thousand five hundred and sixty-two. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he was heads and shoulders. Yeah. Carl Yastrzemski, however, had 3,308. That just blew me away. I didn't know he played that long. Yeah, yeah. It's something like a 22-year career yeah. also. Yeah, And Cal Ripken, 2,632. Man, that's a lot of games for those guys. That's a lot of bumps and bruises. Shoo! Yeah, yeah. And how. Okay. I have a history question for you, and I know in my heart you know the answer without even thinking. <laughs> I don't I don't know where my brain was. I wasn't thinking when I put this one together, and I looked at my notes before, and I thought, what's the matter with you, woman? <laughs> he knows the answer to this one, but I'll give it to you anyway because you're so wonderful. Are you ready? Let's give it a try. All right. There were eight presidents who died in office. Okay. I want you to name them in order. Okay. And if if you can, name the year. Okay. Um, well, I can name all the presidents in order, but I don't think we want to put the audience through that. Let's see here. Okay. William Harrison, number one. Right. Uh, let's see here. What year? 18... I would say 1844. Um, no, I can't be right. Okay, well, that's okay. Let's leave off the date. Okay. You just go through the list. Uh, okay. The, the, ne the next one would be Zachary Taylor. Correct. Uh, next one would be Abraham Lincoln. Correct. Uh, next one would be Garfield. Right. James Garfield. Uh, next one would be McKinley. Correct. Uh, then after McKinley, who died in office, would be Harding. Correct. 
Then after that would be Franklin Donor Roosevelt. Correct. Uh, after Roosevelt would be Kennedy. Correct. Yeah. That's your eight. That's my eight. See, I, I, I told me I was stupid. I can always, I can also tell you a list of all the presidents that there was a uh, either assassinated or attempted assassination on their life too. Oh, we got the four assassinations in the list here. Yeah, but I also know the one that they made attempted assassinations on. Yeah, we did that one night. No, not yet. Yeah, you told us one night. I didn't ask you. You you told us. Well, I told I told you about the the one that there were two attempted assassination on the same try, and he defended himself. Yeah. 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 And Andrew Jackson went to a funeral, and a guy tried to shoot shoot him with a derringer, and he took a cane and beat it beat the the gun out of the assassin's hand, even though he had two attempts to get him. Which is why he got to be president. Hickory, yeah. Person. Yeah. All right, let me ask you this. Who was, or is, Lynette Squeaky Frome? Well, one of the persons that tried to attempt to assassinate uh, Joel Ford. Yeah. Remember, the strange thing, there were two females that tried to shoot him within like a month of each other. Oh, I know. They were out to get that poor guy. I know. Oh, man, he only had one term. Well, actually, a little. You know, I mean... I mean, I'm I'm just a little kid, you know. I really don't remember the '60s per se, even though I was born back then. But boy, what a troubling period of our history mm-hmm. to think of uh, political leaders, spokespersons being shot down from Kennedy, even attempted assassination up into Ford. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. a crazy period. Of it our, was crazy. Yeah. It, it was really crazy. Yeah. I have a brain teaser for you. All right. All right. What can fill a room but takes up no space? Air. That's what I thought, but you know, air is a gas. I, I'm with you. I said mm-hmm. air. Mm-hmm. You said light. That makes sense. That makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Yeah. Um, want some useless but fun stuff? Absolutely. All right. I've I've got. I looked up Virgo, which is September birthdays. Uh huh. Do we know anybody with September birthdays? My mother is born September 29th. Uh, Jean Autry is born September 29th. Um, They're over into the other, into the next. Ben Cooper born September 30th. Let's see who else. June Foray, June 18th. Um, in this group. I'm just thinking out loud. Uh, Curly Bradley. Tom Mix was born in June, September. Um, those, uh, those are some of the ones that popped up in my head. Okay. Well, um, Virgo for September is, you, I think it cuts off on the 23rd, 22nd or 23rd, and then mm-hmm. you go into the next one. Oh. But we've got some personality traits. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me if your mother is modest and shy? Um, oh no, she's on the other end. I'm sorry, she's yeah, in the next yeah, okay. in the next group. Okay, meticulous, reliable, practical, diligent, intelligent, analytical, fussy. I think that one belongs to me. I'm fussy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fuss budget. <laughs> um, a warrior. Yes. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the wrong month here. Okay. Um, perfectionist. Um, they're talkative and don't mind a good argument because they can communicate their ideas. <laughs> so, 
We'll have to do June and July next month. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what that is. Yeah. Okay, a chip of silicon, a silicon chip? Yeah. A quarter of an inch square, a quarter of an inch by a quarter of oh, an inch by a quarter of yeah. an inch, yeah. as the capacity of the original 1944 ENIAC computer yeah. occupied a city block. It's just amazing. So then they take a pretty girl out on a date. He's the one to get hit. I don't know. Maybe your electric personality. Ah, oh, there know. you go. Yeah. Anyway, we're mm -hmm. back to oak trees. Mm -hmm. An oak tree, a mature oak tree, whatever an average mature oak tree is, sheds approximately seven hundred thousand leaves in the fall. That's a lot of leaves. That's a lot of leaves. That's a lot of raking. Yeah. Okay, visitors to Iceland need to know, in case you're taking a trip to Iceland, you need to know that tipping at a restaurant is considered an insult. Don't we wish it was considered an insult in many other places? <laughs> but, well, I, I, you know, I th actually, I think there's several countries that almost that feet, it's almost that custom. I, 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 well, they don't expect, they don't really want you to tip, they always just put it in the bill. That is correct. Yeah. Well, no, um, they, not even, they don't even put it in the bill. It is just not a thing to do mm. in some countries, and Iceland is one of them. Mm. Okay, bugs. Bugs. The one that fell in Patricia Coffee. Yeah, one fell in my coffee, mm. yeah, and I got it out. It was just a little tiny bug. Well, Florida has bugs. Okay, in New York City area alone, there are 15,000 insect species. Wait, how, now, may I ask, how in the world you... How do you New Yorkers go around and count bucks? I do not know. However, the next sentence will help make sense of this. <laughs> it claims, and I, I want to know how, who goes out counting bugs and who goes out testing bugs, mm -hmm. because the next line says, beetles taste like apples, wasps taste like pine nuts, and white worms taste like fried pork rinds. They must have interviewed a frog. Well, they sure didn't interview me. Yeah. I mean, who, oh, I mean, what, these are only three that they mentioned here. I wonder how many others they had to eat and spit out before they got to ones that had a familiar taste. Mm. <sighs> All right. Jose Greco. Do you recognize that name? Um, Jose Greco was a flamenco dancer. Nope, I do not. Um really a, a lively Spanish dance and it, it, they, they've got tap shoes and when, when you hear a flamenco dancer even if you don't see him you can hear the shoes going 
really active dance. He insured, <laughs> I took out an insurance policy from Lloyd's of London, which is the big hoity-toity insurance company. Yep. And it was an insurance policy protecting against his pants splitting during a performance. A flamenco dancer might as well paint his pants on. <laughs> I mean, they're that tight. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why he would have been a little bit concerned. But I don't know. What, what kind of losses would you get if your pants split during a performance? Uh, embarrassment, I guess. Yeah, how would you collect on an insurance policy? Take pictures, I guess. Gee, willikers. Okay. And 1915, 1915, why I came up with 1915, I do not know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but the family income in 1950 was $687 a year, and a Model T was $440, or 60%, 65% of the annual salary, so it was a heck of a chunk. Sure, well, Frank Sinatra was born in 1915, so sure, that's why. 1915 he was? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. How cool. All right. You want to hear about Nigel Bruce, or you want to play a show, or what do you want to do? Up to you. Well, I want to tell you about Nigel Bruce. Okay. I just love that guy. All right. He and, and Basil Rathbone, but, I, you know, Nigel Bruce was just lovable. He just was lovable. He was such a friendly person. <sighs> he was the son of a 10th baronet. I had to look up what a baronet was. A baronet is a title conferred by the king or queen, and it's higher than a knight. It, it's a oh. level above knight, which I... So maybe that's what they call lo uh, barons. They call them barons. Yeah. That is absolutely right. But I never knew the... The, the, the hierarchy? The hierarchy of the royal... I, I didn't know either, but yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, a knight gets slapped on the shoulder with a sword. I don't know how they do it with a, a baron, but a baronet is a British title, and he was the son of a tenth baronet. I thought, what the heck is a tenth baronet? I had to do a lot of research. I really want to tell you about Nigel Bruce, because I did all of this homework. Well, it's a hereditary term, so the baronet would pass it on to his oldest son, who would pass it on to his oldest son, who would pass it on to his oldest son. So by the time it got to Nigel Bruce, because he was the second oldest, the title didn't get passed on to him, but his brother was the 11th baronet. So 11 generations. Isn't that weird? Well, and, you know, and they say, what, generations, 20 years or so, so in that family... It was there for at least over 200 years. A, a long time. Yeah. There was one note that said that at least one part of his family tree went back to the um, the royal steward. Mm, that's hmm. a good run. Interesting. Okay, so he was a British subject, but as I said earlier tonight, he was born in Ensenada, Mexico. It was while his parents were on vacation. He was born February 4th, 1895. And he died very young. I, I would have... Uh, I, I was surprised at this. He died in 1953. Right, I knew that. Yeah. Would have made him 58 years old. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, very young. That's I just you know, and he was he looked older in his roles. He mm -hmm. he just looked older. He was heavy set and mm -hmm. kind of graying hair. Was, his first job was at a stockbroker's firm. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and you know, in um. 
in the, the stories and the movies, he had come home from, I believe it was India? Was it in India? Yes, you mean for Dr. Watson? Yes. Yes. He came home from India, and he had been wounded and had a, a leg wound. Well, in World War II, he did indeed have a leg wound. He wound up with 11 bullets in his left leg and spent the remainder of the war from the, the, about 1914 on, um, most of it in a wheelchair. So he was really injured very badly. So he was, he was in World War One then? Right. Right. There were several English actors, you know, uh, Herbert Marshall lost his leg in World War One. I. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. How about yeah. that? Okay, well, he starred in the 14 films, we told, mentioned that, and 220 radio programs with Basil Rathbone. That is pretty cool. Nice. All right, now this one made me smile. He was, he always appeared to be the older of the two men. Now, he was heavy set and had kind of graying hair and pudgy face and a mustache. He was actually three years younger than Basil Rathbone. Do you know what his, his, his nickname was? Uh, I think I heard it. Let me think. Let me think. It's not coming to me, but I know it when you say it. Well, I'll tell you his full name, his actual birth name. Mm -hmm. Now, he went by Nigel Bruce. Right. But his full name was William Nigel Ernie Bruce. Yeah, Willie. Willie. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was called Willie by Willie. his friends. Wow. That's too cool. Very nice. Too cool. Well, I've got other stuff, but how about we do the radio show? Sounds like a to me. Yeah, and next week I'm going to have a surprise for you. All right. Well, it's not going to be a surprise because I'm going to tell you what it is. By happenstance, I came across a mysterious traveler show that is so bad. <laughs> it's going to make my collection. And the mysterious traveler was a well-respected show. Mm -hmm. That was pretty well written. Whoever wrote this must have been somebody's nephew. Because it was, I mean, it was a bad show. It by, was, yeah, it was written by uh, Arthur, oh, man, uh, two famous writers, actually, Bob Arthur and I forget the partner, and he later married to the movie's actress, uh, Teresa Wright, but it was a well-respected writer, and that's with their series, so maybe we get a bad... Somebody took a vacation. Uh-huh, maybe we get a bad day. Oh, boy, somebody had a bad day. It was bad, so maybe next week we could play that one. Could we do that? Sure. Yeah, okay. Well, right now, we have a Fibber McGee and Molly. Let me see what we got here. The real estate deal. Yeah, it's called The Real Estate Deal. From October 24th, 1950. The show is called The Real Estate Deal. It's the first season with the pet milk program. The last Johnson Wax program was in June of 1950. A big Now, that was not right. Uh -huh. Was that correct? So Johnson Wax, the last one was June of 50, Johnson yeah. Johnson Wax, then um, Pet Milk, then, pet, then uh, Reynolds Aluminum. Yes, yes, right, okay. yes. And what was the fourth one? A variety of sponsors, but um, uh, mainly like a, a pen, a, a pen company. I don't remember what okay. brand a pen. Okay, mm -hmm. so the, the Aluminum, Reynolds Aluminum came after this. Okay, so we got the first show. Um, this is the first season. Well, 
pet milk. And Big Shot Businessman, I just love Sivir when he does his Big Shot Businessman routine. He's reviewing and revising a contract with the Third National Bank. He's telling Molly this is really a big bank deal to develop real estate. And it sounds like Harlow Wilcox was late to the microphone in the first ad. Um, Jim Jordan kind of bantered with him about it. Claire Schultz wrote that when Fibber tripped over his line, it messed up the timing, and that's what happened. But I listened, and I couldn't find a trip up on there. I think Harlow was late for his cue. He missed his cue. Mm -hmm. So maybe you could listen to it, or somebody out there in the listening land can listen to it and tell me what you think. The show has one of Mayor Latrivia's sputtering, and he took an extra long break at the end of it, and it sounds like Harlow Wilcox is in the background laughing. You know, when Mayor Latrivia gets to the end and he gives a pause and he says, Mickey? Well, there was an extra long break in there, but because... We've only got the audio. We don't know what was going on. But I swear it's Harlow Wilcox in the background during this extended break who is starting to laugh. Anyway, it's got a typical Fibber ending. This is the real estate deal from October 24th, 1950, and we will be back after the show. The Pet Milk Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The first evaporated milk, Pet Milk, presents Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Dick Legrand, Cliff Arquette, Ken Christie, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The show is written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie and directed by Max Hutto, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. When you give your baby pet evaporated milk, you're doing far more than satisfying his hunger you're giving him the ideal start toward a lifetime of sound teeth, strong, straight bones, and a sturdy, well-developed body. And these benefits are long-lasting. They're benefits you have a right to expect from pet milk, because pet milk provides the right combination of protective whole milk substances plus vitamin D, the sunshine vitamin. They are the reasons why doctors everywhere recommend pet milk, the first evaporated milk, as the first food for babies. Are you giving your child pet milk? When a small boar thinks he is large caliber, it's time somebody pulled the trigger on him. <laughs> and look who's making like a big shot businessman as we go to 79 Wistful Vista and join Fibber McGee and Molly. What's say, Mac? Speak up, man. We got a bad connection. Yeah, I got the contract right in front of me, Mac. But I don't like the language on line 12, paragraph 6, page 27. When I... Moment. Do you know that pet evaporated milk is one of the biggest bargains on your pantry shelf? Why? Well, first of all, pet milk is twice as rich as ordinary milk. And to use it as you would ordinary milk, you mix it with an equal amount of water. Second, pet milk, good, sweet, country milk, concentrated to double richness, is just right for coffee. And third, you can actually whip pet milk. Use it in place of expensive whipping cream for making delicious desserts. Yes, you can use pet milk as milk, as coffee cream, as whipping cream. And pet milk costs less than half as much as whipping cream or coffee cream. Less generally than ordinary bottled milk. 
So when you need milk or cream, get Pet. Pet evaporated milk. Boy, I sure must have got old McDonald upset with that fancy contract. There's an evening paper here that driving home, he smacked right into a truck. Heavenly days, was he hurt? Just decapitated him is all. Oh, no. Yep. Lucky for him, he was wearing a high cap. <laughs> a few inches lower and it would have knocked his head off. Oh, God. Good night. Good night, all. The first evaporated milk, Pet Milk, brings you Fibber McGee and Molly each week at this time. Be with us again next Tuesday night, won't you? Any woman who's had to cook on a broken-down stove for several years would, as the saying goes, give her eye teeth for a nice, shiny new one. That's why every woman who listens next Saturday morning to the story of the week on Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor program will understand why Sally Carter does what she does to get a new kitchen stove. And what's cooking next Saturday morning in Mary Lee Taylor's stove? It's a wonderful dessert, the kind that's sure to go over big with the men. Apple nut cake. Don't miss this recipe of the week and the story of the week. Next Saturday morning on Pet Milk's Mary Lee Taylor program. Next, there's a big time on Big Town on NBC. Because those dear hearts and gentle people will never ever let you down. They read the good book from Friday to Monday. That's how the weekend goes. I've got a dream house I'll build there one day with picket fence and rambling rows. I feel so welcome each time that I return That my happy heart keeps laughing like a clown I love the dear hearts and gentle people Who live and love in my hometown There's a place I'd like to go And it's back in Idaho Where your friendly neighbors smile and say hello It's a pleasure and a treat to meander down the street That's why I want the whole wide world to know I love those dear hearts I love the dear hearts I love the gentle people Who live in my hometown Because those dear hearts And gentle people Will never ever let you down They read the good book From Friday till Monday that's how the weekend goes. Got a dream, a dreaming dream house. I build it one day with picket fence and rambling rows. I feel so welcome each time that I return. That my happy heart keeps laughing like a clown. I love the dear hearts 
some gentle people who live in love in my hometown. And here's the one and only. Hello there. Hello there. What is, Who here? is this? What is here? Who is this? This is your your bud, your companion through so many Saturday nights. It's the, me. The person to whom I am speaking. Yes. It's been a good night. It, it's a quarter to five where Patricia's at. I'm walking here on the West Coast. She's on the East Coast, and we gotten plenty of calls tonight, so we want to thank everybody for doing that. I need to know who listened to the Green Valley Line and who thinks the show was acceptable except for the awful acting. And if you disagree with me, it's okay, but I'll never send you another th- no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> The acting was pretty bad. If anyone out there heard the Green Valley line that we played earlier, or bless Walden, he played earlier, give us a call and let me know what you thought of the show. 714-545-2071. And what is or was your favorite carnival ride or carnival food or carnival game or carnival booth? Anything, an amusement park, too. You can do an amusement park as well. Did you did you like a particular, I know you rode on an elephant. That was a goodie. Uh-huh. That was part of a circus, though. Okay, I'll, ex- I'll extend it to circus. What, what kind of a ride did you ever go on, or what kind of a booth or candy or just anything at all that, that you enjoyed? Well, you know, I'm sort of blessed having this in my backyard. And having a fair three blocks away. So I've at least attended these things a few times in my lifetime. A, th- a few times, right? Yeah. Um, what is the mostest funnest? Well, I've been known to love to rock the Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> Could we go back to talking about the barf bag? <laughs> Good grief. So. Okay. So I've been known to do that. Okay. I've been known to, um, have you ever seen the, the, the teacup at Disneyland? I've seen pictures of it, yes. yes you you yes. know how those things work, don't you? People get into the teacup and, it, and they have to spin the wheels and that determines the speed. Oh. How fast those things go. Oh. Uh, people who come with me uh-huh. have to really hunker down. Uh-huh. Because I'm known to really shift it into first gear. Yeah? Yeah, I'm really known well, to... What are you crashing into? You've got an advantage in that sense. Well, but they, they, they don't crash into... It, it, it just let you go as fast you want. Oh, and because like bumper cars. You don't bump into each other? You don't bump into each other. You just go in circles. Oh. And you can oh, crank it. Uh. You can crank it. And I'm I'm known to be a, such a cranker that both people are just holding to the, to the outer rim of the cup. 
and I'm in the middle, get cranking away. Oh, you get to be in the center. Oh, yeah. So I lean over and get crank. And everybody on the outside gets whipped around. Yes. Okay. Like I was saying, I I love bags? I love fast roller coasters. Okay. I like the ones that drop 100 feet from the sky. Oh. I like the ones that fall on your that you you fall on your back. I like the ones that flip over. Um. I I like going fast. Well, I'll have the coming home party on the ground for you. Well, if we're going together, I I've done enough fast ride. I, I we'll, we'll do the uh, small world and all the kitty stuff. And the merry-go-round. Uh huh. Yeah, I think the merry-go-round is about well. Need. Well, we can do this stuff. Chicken. But we can do the bear jamboree, the kiki room, all this fun stuff. Are there too. little ones? Of course. Little, but, little kids can oh yeah. laugh at me? Oh, yeah. They but, would, huh? No, but I, I probably, because living here in California, I probably have done Disneyland close to over 70 some odd times in my lifetime. And being the first three blocks away, you know, and having free tickets for all these years. I've I seen it. I've I done a few, been there, and I like the food. Hello there, you're on the air. You would, well, number one, you wouldn't ever get me in one of those cups. You wouldn't. But, but number two, if you did, I would break you from running the speed up in a hurry. <laughs> because when that thing stopped, yeah. by the time you got a bath and changed clothes, <laughs> you'd be very careful who you did that with. And again, <clears throat> well, I, I'm like fine wine. I, I don't travel well. Yeah, well. <laughs> The re- what what most people do when I'm when I roll it, they're, they're just hanging on for their life and they're they're headed in the other direction. Cause I I can really crank the puppy really high. Well, that's really fun. Well, what what the do middle. they do when they get out? Uh, you don't have very good balance. Let's put it that way. All right, one time I want somebody else to sit in the middle and you sit on the outside. Oh, I've done that. You can take turns too if you wanted to. Gee, but more people, the, more people, they can't get close to the center, so I can take over. Harwood, how are you? You have more sense than to get into a, 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 a fair ride, I'll tell you that. Well, you know, they say the older you get, the most likely you don't like those types of rides because the calcium belts on your ears, your, your, your eardrums. And you have well, equilibrium. I didn't, I didn't like it when I was young either. <laughs> but I, I guess I was smarter when I was young than most people. You got up, you got, you grew up fast. Yeah, exactly. I'm with you. I keep saying it. You know, I have never seen, I guess there's no polite way of saying anything other than barf bag. I have never seen them at carnivals. And by golly, there are some places where you really should have some. Well, what they do, actually, because my aunt doesn't handle it very well, and we were on the tilt wheel, they just shut the ride down. You know, when somebody flagged, they just shut it right down on the spot. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes you're not fast enough <laughs> like that. But, I do, well, I'll be on the ground waking, waiting. I guess Harwood and I will both be on the ground waiting for you guys to get finished. You're right. Well away from it. I mean, my idea of a, of a carnival ride is a pony ride. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
do you have a favorite carnival or circus or um, amusement park food? No, not really. I mean, everybody ate hot dogs, and I guess I did too, but I don't re really recall eating much of anything else. And, you know, when I was pretty small, I never liked cotton candy. Now, later I did, but by that time I wasn't going to them anymore, so yeah. I don't know that it really mattered, but I just, you know, everybody else wanted cotton candy, but I didn't. Out here at barbecue, Patricia, that's the good stuff. They do barbecue? Uh-huh. That's what they do at fairs now. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Yeah, then everybody goes home with food poisoning. Uh, no, that, it's, actually, if you want to go for the best quality food, it's to go for the barbecue. Other stuff, I don't, like, like Big Tex, the state fair in Texas, I don't know how people can eat fried this, fried that, fried, I don't understand the phenomenon. Fried Even butter. Fried butter. Fried butter. I don't understand that. Uh, how can you eat fried butter? <laughs> they, I think, and this is an I think, from what I have seen, they, they uh, put really hard, cold butter on a stick. They dip it in batter and throw it real quickly into the fat so just the batter gets brown and the inside is still cold. It don't, it don't sound very appetizing to me. And even if it's warm, it's, it's just kind of runny, well, icky. Uh, you, can do, you can do fried Twinkies out here. Well, some places around here, they do fried Snickers, too. Fried Snickers, yeah, fried oil but cookies. But I, I never had one. Yeah, fried oil cookies now. Uh, this is sinful. I, uh, you know, I, I about decided the only way they're going to sell that fried butter to anybody is to got drunk first. Harwood, no joke, at the uh, Texas Fair where it was first started, they pe people are lined up for this stuff. We had 1.4 million people show up at our, fa our fair here, uh, three blocks away this year. And were they eating fried butter? Oh, yeah. Oh. Well, let me tell you one thing. You won't find me in the line. <laughs> Once again, we'll have the welcome home party. <laughs> yeah, right. You and I are going to be off in a corner, Harwood. We'll just... Yes, sir. A quiet good time by ourselves. Too funny. Too funny. Did, were you up when we played the um, the Green Valley Line episode? No, I have never heard that one. Um, I wasn't up at that point. I, I got here when you were dealing with black bears and grizzly bears. <laughs> Did it? Is that truthful? The grizzly bears? I, I really don't know, but I, I do know that if you want to avoid problems with grizzly bears, you're supposed to wear little bells on your shoes. And that doesn't work anymore. I thought you could feed them fried butter. No, they, oh. um, they call them bear bells. And they used to tell you in the state park when you went walking or hiking to wear bear bells.